This podcast is with Onnit CEO Jason Havey, and it comes at a really seminal moment in my life and in the life of Onnit itself, because today we announced the acquisition of Onnit by Unilever. And this journey started a long time ago where myself and Bodie Miller and Joe Rogan and Roger Huerta, we were all training in a different way, thinking about optimization in a different way, taking different types of supplements and realized that we had a gift to give to the whole world. And we've done an amazing job giving that gift to everybody we could, but we never were able to give it really to the whole world, not to translate our thoughts into all the different languages, offer all of our tools and all of our supplements and everything we have to offer in all of the countries around the world. And now in partnership with Unilever, we're going to be able to do that. And while no company is ever perfect, I feel so aligned with the Unilever vision and everything they've done for both sustainability, racial equality, many of the initiatives they have. And so this is a time of celebration and growth for Onnit. And in this podcast, Jason and I are going to talk about all of the hard lessons that we learned in the entrepreneurship journey. We came up with 23 tenets, and these are applicable not only to running a business, but just running your life, basic principles like the law of reciprocity. So I'm really excited to share this moment and this podcast with all of you and just want to share the utmost gratitude to everyone for all of your support, for myself, for Onnit through all of these years. So this podcast is brought to you uninterrupted by Onnit. Once again, as always, go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and save 10% on everything. And you know what? That's not going to change because I'm always on it. It's a part of me. It's a part of every cell of my being, and it's going to continue being that way. So everything that you love about Onnit, our Austin headquarters, all of our products, everything that we offer that's all staying the same. It's just getting better and the message is being amplified. And if you're curious, what's next for me? Look to Fit for Service. This is where so much of my heart is right now. The Fit for Service Fellowship, our in-person community. You can check it out, aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice. We're accepting applications for gatherings all around the world. And of course, the Fit for Service Academy. Go to aubreymarcus.com slash FFS Academy. Check that out. It's our virtual community in the app that's loaded with guided breath work, guided ecstatic dance, guided meditations, guided sound healings, and has a lot of the features of social media as well as masterclasses. It's a badass place. And as much as I pour into that community and the fit for service, I get so much more given back to myself. And that's the true nature of reciprocity is the act of giving is immediately returned, not only from what you feel about what you give, but what's returned by the people that you give it to. So it's such a beautiful environment. So enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much for everything that you've offered. And I got so much love. Jason Havey, my man. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fucking great. Me too, man. I really am. Right? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah. This has been a hell of a journey, and we're at a really interesting inflection point to talk about the journey, mm -hmm. because we are right now on the precipice of selling this company. Yeah. And this is, I guess I didn't always have this in mind. I didn't build on it to sell. And if I did build on it to sell, I did a shit job because <laughs> I never thought about it once. I just, I really focused from the beginning on making this something that was going to serve my needs, something that people could feel, something that would put the right energy out in the world. 
And I honestly, I never knew if this was going to be me riding this thing for life and I was going to be CEO for life. So much is unknown when you you know embark on this journey and i think there was a purity to that which i really appreciate and a lot of mistakes that were made if i was targeting this as an endpoint but ultimately it all worked out yeah and when you think about it like selling the company doesn't mean leaving the company necessarily and still being attached Correct. to the company and still living through the company because all those things are still going to exist but uh starting the company for the right reasons you're trying to start a company around what was important to you and what you enjoyed and not having that end in mind sometimes works better because it kept you from making a lot of decisions early on that i think would have been purely like outcome and financial based whereas you did it specifically uh uh to fill a group of needs that you had for yourself or wants that you had for yourself. And that was the thing that really caught the company fire early on. So people were connecting with it in an unusual way that that it, I doubt it would have been that way if you just did it for a future sale. That's the thing about, you know, talking to people about being a serial entrepreneur. You know, like everybody's like, oh yeah, serial entrepreneur. It's like you, it's this formula you build something you sell it you go on to the next thing build it and sell it and as that formulaic approach there's lacking some purity in what you're really trying to For do sure. and i think that's the difference between in my mind like a conscious entrepreneur someone who's really you know consciously trying to put something of value out into the world versus someone who just understands the game of entrepreneurship and I'm like, I am Kasparov of entrepreneurship and I know how to move these levers. Yeah. I didn't know how to move the fucking levers, but we figured them out along the way as they fit in with higher organizing principles, which always came first. Yeah, you know, when I... I kind of cringe at the term serial entrepreneur, but there's a place for it, right? Like somebody that's really good at seeing gaps in markets, able to fill them, give the consumer what they want, move on to the next thing. That's still an honorable thing to sure. do. But at the same time, like there, there's, it's hard to really say my heart, my soul was put into this and have people feel it. And so you can, you can create a business that fills a gap, fills a consumer need and is genuinely good. But this business was different. The reason I was attracted to this business is because it genuinely had a soul. I could tell that it really meant something. And to be honest, and I think this is another one of those decisions that you might have made differently if you were planning on selling, you were talking very openly, unlike any CEO I had ever heard really authentically and and about everything from your your personal uh life your personal mistakes uh what you were interested in without any consideration of how does this affect the business right because it was connected in that way it's it's funny because people people will think like Oh yeah, he was just tricking people by talking about polyamory, which is getting people, you know, riled up and tricking people <laughs> by talking about psychedelics. No. No. <laughs> Not it's like the opposite. Yeah. You know, these are areas that are actually they actually kind of can separate your market. You know, people who aren't into that, people who are like, "No, no, these are drugs." Or people are like, "What are you doing? This is uh this is an unwholesome lifestyle that you're leading." And bought all of these judgments, but that wasn't the point wasn't to put everything i needed to do everything i was putting out for the single goal of this eventual sale and i actually had counsel the other way people like 
hey, you know, people who had that pure entrepreneurial thing, like, this is bad for the brand. You shouldn't do this. And I was like, that's not the, that's not the brand that I know. Because the brand that I know on it, we stand for authenticity. We stand for being real. And if I'm not real, then I'm actually not in the flow of the brand. I'm actually going against the flow of the brand. So people need to hear about all the real shit. Yeah, you know, that's one fascinating thing about on it is like uh, you can make a business about gluten-free pasta or something and everybody's just like that's the gluten-free pasta business. But when people were talking about on it early on and it it doesn't happen as much anymore, but it was divisive in some ways where people there was this this uh narrative that that there was this on it cult. If you remember, that sure. was a thing for a while that this on it cult that was out there because some people just didn't understand what was the attraction that some people had to this business and the way that uh, a lot of people felt about it. But the people that did get it realized that it was just a connection to something that was actually individual in each one of us, and it was a piece of this. But from externally, there was there was a couple stories that came out that talked about the Onnit cult when they really were missing the point of the Onnit culture. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and I think whenever you tap into something that's deeper than simply a product, you're tapping into someone's emotions and actually potentially even tapping into their spiritual actualization understanding a spiritual being goes all the way down to the somatic cellular body something that as i go deeper in my practice i'm learning more and more about like this idea of spirit up here in the sky and then the body the lowly body down here that's all nonsense like it's Mm -hmm. all within the body like there's as much divinity in our cells in our skin in our livers in our organs in our intestines as there is out in some sky kingdom of the ethereal astral plane like it's all there it's it's all here and i think so even though we don't talk about that and we never did talk about that as part of on it i talked about it you know really openly when people feel that, when they feel that there's something more there, their passion for it changes. And as we go through our 23 tenants that we made up, we'll definitely talk about this more. But that passion was something that people are like, why are people so passionate about this? This is a fucking supplement company. They must be doing something squirrely. And it's not squirrely. It's the opposite of squirrely. It's we're doing something that's meaningful, like meaning. Like what do all religions ultimately come from? They come from giving a sense of meaning. You know, Jamie Wheel talks about it in his new book, Meaning 1.0 was religious belief. This gave you meaning in Mm -hmm. life. And this is not a religion by any means, but there's something about it that gives people meaning. This idea, I'm going to be a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. And these are the tools and these are the ways that I can think about it. These are the actions I can take. And these are the inputs I can put in my body that will help me get there. The the When you say that, the other thing that, that just dawned on me is... The other piece of why I think people didn't get it before but do now is because you were an early adapter to a lot of things. Uh, to No one knew what a nootropic was. When they, they heard uh, brain pill, this was still like 2010, 2011. We were just coming off uh, getting 50 spam emails a day about making uh, your penis two <laughs> inches larger. And so so all of a sudden, this guy's coming out and saying he's going to make your brain bigger. You know, people just didn't get what we were doing here. You know, a funny story, just to break that. <laughs> yeah. The funniest story about those dick pills that were supposed to make your penis bigger 
was that the same erectile tissue that's in your penis is also in your nipples. So <laughs> if you take something non-locally, internally, that makes your dick grow, it it's also going to make your nipples grow. <laughs> like there's no, way, there's no way that the, that the body could separate those two things from a pill. So if that worked, people would be having these long, <laughs> dangly nipples <laughs> just going down and be like, you're like, bro. Oh, bro, I know bro, what you're I, up to. <laughs> you got to stop going to the gas station. <laughs> Oh my God, that's funny. And, uh, and, but it wasn't just that, right? Like it was, uh, uh, you were an early adapter to ayahuasca. I was yeah. too. And you were the first person I heard talking about it. And right. that was one of the reasons that I was initially connected to you. And uh, the list goes on and on, but kettlebells, maces, clubs, like the way switching from, from, working out just to look better and switching it to working out to feel better as well. That was even a new concept then. It was all about that that beach body, no pun intended. Right. Um and and so when you put that all together as like total human optimization and uh even was talking about the psychedelics outside of on it, I think people were either confused or all about it because you even talking spiritually, uh people felt like like science and spirituality were mutually exclusive and they really aren't. And, mm. and ultimately they're probably going to come to the same point. Yeah. There's just, you, it's almost like you can track that convergence. Whereas our, the way that we measure things and our capability of understanding and how things work, it's cool to watch where that goes. Yeah. And granted everybody relaxed. There's still a gap there. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Not, not everything can be measured. Not everything can be, you know, looked at in a clinical trial yet as it concerns spirituality. But there is that kind of feeling like as our tools get better and as our ability to understand things get better, it works on all levels. Just like I was saying, spirit moves all the way through the body and there's understanding about how the fascia can store memory of trauma and yeah. the book like The Body Keeps the Score and these things are starting to become, you know, really widely accepted. And as we start to realize this, how everything is kind of weaving together, this physical corporeal existence and the spiritual existence there's going to be the ways that that we're able to track them all the way through and i'm just excited to see where that goes it doesn't mean that we have to wait for it and you can if you want you know and if that's the way you want to wait for it by all means but it is cool to see uh to see where that appears to be going uh, where do you think that did you always have the confidence in your intuition? Because I think that's one thing that's tough for people is reading their own red and yellow flags uh, in their head during their own choose your own adventure book we call life. And some people are really good at trusting their intuition. And yours is proven to, uh, I'm not kissing your ass at this point because we're talking about selling sure. the business, but, <laughs> but really, I mean, your intuition has guided you the right direction. Have you always felt more drawn to tuition than what is widely held as a belief at the time i've also made a lot more mistakes than people than people remember like i founded two companies simultaneously i founded on it and i founded a men's nail polish company with you know roger huerta yeah at the same time because yeah. i saw the trend i saw chuck liddell painting his nails and roger was painting chris his Lieben. nails i was like yeah chris lieben painting his nails i was like shit this is a thing this is gonna take off yep. you know this is cool and i was deep in the fight community because of my friendships and so that didn't work 
you know, ultimately, and I was yeah. like, I, I was stoked about it. I thought this is cool. You know, we're going against cultural norms. We're allowing people to be more expressive and it's changing the understanding of masculinity and, you know, in a way that we don't have to show that we're tough all the time. We can paint our nails pink and that's actually even tougher in a way. And like, yeah. there's all these things that I thought was really cool about that, but it was a shit business idea. <laughs> and when I proved that, you know, yeah. and so, but at this, the other time I also had this idea about on it, which talking about it with Bodie Miller, who trained as hard as anybody I've ever seen. And I've seen people train and I still have yet to see someone push themselves to the degree that Bodie pushed themselves in the workouts that I've been in. And I've been in workouts with all kinds of MMA champions, NFL champions, NBA champions. I've been with all the champions and and watched how they train and watching how Bodie trained when he was when he needed to to go for it. I've still never seen anything like it in my life. He sees if he can train himself to death. To death. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's other people who are like that, but watching Bodie with like a hundred pound, you know, weight vest sprinting up a hill that was steep and it was like rocky and it was it was the ground was really loose and you're slipping and falling you got this weight and he's scrambling up as if his life depends on making the time that he has and he's got his you know he's checking his heart rate this is 2009 you know, somewhere Before around that, that was a big thing too. And he's going so hard. And then at the end, he's just retching and puking and then just dry heaving, gets a little water, goes back down, does it again, repeats, oh. right? Like, so that's the side of Bodhi that people don't also know because they know that he also parties hard and he did both. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, one of the things that we loved about each other was that we would go for it in whatever thing that we, we went for. And that was really a big part of the genesis of On It was, all right, how do we make tools that help someone who really wants to push themselves whatever your own threshold is bodhi's threshold was different than mine mine's different from somebody else but tools to help you push your threshold and the initial idea was well look we need something to help mitigate a, you know the damage that we're doing when we're partying yeah and that was the initial idea and so the name on it came from bodhi some people might know this it was just something that we would say like if he skied good, and, and for him, it didn't matter if he crashed or not, good was whether he was really reading the mountain, giving it everything he got, he would say, I'm on it. If I was playing a pickup basketball game and I was really feeling it in flow, I was like, I was fucking on it. Or if we were on the dance floor and I was like, I was on it. Tonight, yeah. You know, or whatever, it didn't matter. On it was the word of us living up to our potential in that moment. Not an external potential about what society says somebody should do. And that was another beautiful lesson from Bodhi was, it didn't matter who was performing. He would get as much joy out of watching any one of his homies, even if they sucked at a sport. But if they were giving it everything and were reaching their potential, he was like, he would have tears in his eyes. Just like if he watched a world champion perform. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter the scale. What mattered to him was an individual's potential. And that became like the spirit of this. Like what is each individual's potential where they are? not saying that because of this one's accolades or this one's trophies which Bodhi didn't give a shit about honestly mm -hmm. like what is their potential and can they get a little bit closer to that and he had he was doing all the things he was getting into ketosis well before people even knew what ketosis was and he was showing me the strips and i was like i don't fucking care man i don't i like i don't get it eventually like years later i was like oh man Bodhi, you were fucking on to this early yeah but that was like that was that initial initial energy to it 
And just to continue with the start of this start of this company, I, I made a business plan and I had like some business plan software and I kind of plugged everything in and I wrote it all out. I'm a good writer. I understood what we were Tell going for. Tell me you for. still have that somewhere. Oh man, I wish I did. Yeah. I, maybe I saved my old computers in my safe. So if I can remember the password to get into my computers, yeah. I can probably find the plan. But, you know, he, we were having a shrimp, we were having shrimp, remember exactly, we we're having shrimp cocktail at a restaurant in San Diego. And he's just eating his, he loves shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail and chicken tenders were like his, <laughs> the primary Bodie Miller diet. Yeah. And a big, tall pint of beer. We both had a beer. And uh, and I handed it to him. I was like, look, man, I'm interested in starting this. And, um, you know, it's called On It. And he was like, all right. And then, you know, he's going through it. And he flips through it. And he's like, I'm in. How much are you looking for? And I was like, uh, 60K. He's like, okay. And then, um, and then I think we had like a quick negotiation for like how much percentage ultimately that got him. And I think at the time, like it, that went up to maybe 10% or something like that, like something like pretty substantial because this yeah. was nothing, right? That was a $600,000 valuation yeah. of an idea, yeah. you know, which is an, which is an issue that, you know, people ultimately are like, what do you value this? like i don't know i mean at that point it's just an idea how much faith you have but i wanted i figured with that and then another piece that i had from another you know family friend investor another 50 grand that's how on it started with those two seed investors who just bet on an idea and the and my other friend same thing he flipped through it even faster like it was a fucking flip book like it was one of those things that you draw where someone is peeing <laughs> off of a bridge <laughs> yeah and the pee lands on something you flip it and it's like oh like, wow this pee is going you know this yeah. is good they flipped through it that fast, but they were betting on me. They were betting. I mean, they were like, they both looked me in the eye, like, "You gonna do this? Like, you gonna you gonna make this work?" And I was like, "Yeah, I am. I am." And they put the money in, and you know, turned out to be one of the world's great investments. Right at that point, it did. I mean, I don't know what the the odds are of those investments around the world when you're betting on friends and family, but as an entrepreneur, you have to have that person because you valuing that idea at 600,000 is only going to pass muster with somebody that really sincerely trusts you yeah. because otherwise that idea is absolutely worth dick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Totally. They're they're betting on you being able to pull it off. And I had no I had no credentials. I'd never done this before. I'd never proven that I could build a business and CPG and do all the things. I mean, I'd worked I had my own little marketing firm and I'd sold a bunch of other people's stuff. Yep. But, you know, this was taking a bet on me as a human to learn and figure it out. And they were both willing to do it. And honestly, to just go a little bit into the start, I mean, we brought, I ran through all of that money, all that 110000 I actually borrowed an extra thirty grand from another, you know, another friend. And this was just a loan mm -hmm. to actually finally make the first alpha brain push because purchase of pills at that point which is just like the smallest batch possible and at that point i'd already talked to joe about you know what supplement he would like the most and he was like a nootropic and then i went to go make the nootropic and i've told this story a bunch of times got all the research talked to the doctors formulated this thing it was a pivot from the you know hangover recovery supplements that this started into a different field and that's really where the future of on it i saw it crystallize you know i saw that crystallize but we were completely out of money you know, but I, we had someone who was willing to take a bet on us, you know, Dale was willing to take a bet yeah, on us. Yeah. And, uh, Still working with them today. Yeah. And Dale was like, all right, I'll, I'll make you this sample, 
you know, even though the numbers were so small, I got rejected by everybody. The price per pill was so high that everybody was telling me it was ridiculous. I was like, we got to just make the best one we can possibly fucking make. Yep. Got the samples. The samples look good. And I borrowed that last bit of money to just get enough, just get enough that on, on net 30, you know, mind you, yeah. because that net 30 was huge because I couldn't even pay. You know, I couldn't even fully pay for the full amount, you know, so we had to sell through in order to even make this work or the whole thing would have collapsed. It was like right down to the brink, but I could feel when Alpha Brain was created and that formula started to have the the traction and I could feel that energy build. It's like you just feel the rocket engine starting to fire up. Yeah. And that's where to go in the longest circuitous route to your point about intuition, that was that moment where I was like, oh shit. Like all the pieces are really lining up. This formula is revolutionary because you can feel it. You're not imagining that you're taking a brain supplement. You're feeling that you take it. And it reminds me of what you know I used to take in my intro to supplements just to briefly fill people back in. My stepmom was a nutritional doctor, worked with a lot of athletes, would give me a stack of supplements on game day, stack of supplements on test day. So I had experience with taking things that actually tangibly had an effect, but it was a big it was a big stack, you know, and I didn't at that time know what that stack was, but I went back and researched that and figured it all out, went to all the individual ingredient clinical research and put something together and I could feel the rocket ship. And then of course, Joe's interest in it yep. and Joe feeling like, man, this thing is fucking fire. This alpha brain is legit, you know? And I remember that, like, obviously that's a word that Joe likes a lot. He's like, this is legit, Yep. you know? And, and that moment I could feel that. And so, you know, basically going into you know, spending money I didn't have with the net 30, getting the supplements, but not even paying for the next 30 days, it felt right and the intuition was right. Also, I did an ayahuasca journey at the time and ayahuasca at that point showed me that this was going to work. It showed me all the ways that I needed to unkink all of the different hoses and different ways in which things could flow, the energy could flow out and in smoothly, like the ecosystem could become healthy yeah and i saw that like crystal clear and i could feel it and that's when i knew there was something remarkable but shit i was in an i was in an attic you know and i had virtually i had one employee who was still working mostly for my marketing company yep one employee in an attic above a little shop that i had with my fiance caitlin you know selling like handmade leather oh, I goods i didn't know there was a shop below there was it. a shop underneath it yeah <laughs> it's a tiny little place on the east side it's funny and you know we push out we push out that first round of alpha brain i go on the podcast sell through it in like a day and then i got to you know got with dale we got another shipment coming in 10 days that was twice as big sold through that in a day another shipment twice as big and there it was there was the initial rocket ship and then it was okay now we've now we've you know establish what we can do for the brain let's establish what we can do for your mood let's establish what you can do for you know a pre-workout that's not going to make you jittery and without going through all of the details of every step from there this total human optimization idea that we had this then this idea of being a little bit better tomorrow than today of getting yourself to the place where you're on it mm -hmm. you know like that that became the guide star and we just started creating thing after thing after thing that would fit into it and and the company started to grow but it was really about like what's the dopest thing that i can make for me 
It, you know, when I, I think about that, the fascinating thing is like when you look in the rear view mirror, you can see all these really unique data points that allowed that to be successful. You look back and you're like, well, that friendship with Bodhi, the, the uh, maybe not even a friendship yet, but just uh, 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 acquaintanceship with Joe. Yep. Uh, you knew Roger, so you had this connection to the, to the fight game and your, your stepmom's uh, knowledge of supplementation, your mom's uh, uh, athletic uh, background. Yeah, and you mom start went to semifinals of Wimbledon, so she knew a thing about it. Yeah. yeah, and so when you start putting all those things together, it all kind of narrows into what would be the perfect company. But at the time, it's not that clear. Right. That's why I talk about intuition is because like, you know you're, you're in the middle of the forest. And for some reason, your intuition's telling you that way. And it feels like it's more than a hunch. You know that the right direction's there. And it's almost like all these wayfinding signs that we talk about in the rear view mirror are in your head somewhere. And you're just, you get yourself tuned into what the right direction is to go. And a lot of times ayahuasca can clear that up for you yeah. and get rid of some of the, the minutia that we put in our heads because in the rear view mirror, I could tell you this is where you should go. It makes a lot of sense, mm. but at the time, it's not as clear. Yeah. You just keep taking one step at a time, feels a little bit better, and then you amend and polish, and eventually it, you have a diamond. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, ayahuasca was just really clear. Like It was make the best thing you can possibly make and make it obvious what it's for and and just Alpha authentically brain. authentically share that. All right, what's the best thing you can make for the brain? All right, and make sure that it has brain in the name. Yeah, you know, it was like yeah. it was like really simple. Yeah, you know, like do this in the in the purest way possible, and that's what's going to allow like the energy to move through without, you know, because I think there's a tendency to try to do too much. But if you really have the goods and you really know what it is, and I think people are learning that, like the way that the market is now versus in 2010, 2011, Oof. it's so different because people have learned that lesson. But I think that was another one of the differentiators was like, we're going to be really clear with what what we're doing and what we're offering. And and that just kind of establishes the the bounds of what this thing is internally. One of the things that the the very first conversation I ever had with Bodhi was about flow state. I heard you talking about flow state in 2011. Now you hear plenty of people talk about flow state and uh, uh, theta waves, alpha waves, and, and how the mind works. But back then, it seemed very ethereal and almost woo-woo. And now mm. it seems like it's it's very mainstream science. And when I hear on it, I always go to flow state and, and getting yourself into that zone that is on it. Do you equate those two, flow state and being on it? I think the epitome of being on it is is to be in flow state. But flow state's a tricky thing because mm -hmm. it requires all of the practice and all of the work. Like people say, oh yeah, flow state, like surfing. You try to learn how to surf and tell me if you get in fucking flow state. You're not. You're going to be paddling. You're going to be getting moved sideways. Your board's going to be the wrong way. Then you're going to try to do the thing where you roll over, but you're sideways and you're going to get pummeled. And then you're going to miss the wave. And then you're not going to know which wave to chase after. And then you're going to take someone else's wave. And that's going to be, you're not going to be anywhere close. Like you have to put in all of that work all on the front side and then get yourself into the optimal position where then you can actually get into that state, you know? So it's uh yeah there's no entry level flow state no yeah. i mean maybe with some other thing that's you're on like some kind of gyro device with an easy learning curve and it's brand new and it can create those kind of conditions but what we're really talking about being on it it's 
it's a slow and steady climb and you can reach little bit of levels you know closer and closer and closer you know towards that but there's a certain barrier that you have to cross but then the epitome like the the gold standard of being on it is when all of that all falls away and you're just really in the deep deep now that deep present moment man i just i just put something together you know we've we talk a lot we've had a lot of conversations and they all come back to one thing is like there, there is no free lunch. Like you have to earn everything. There is no skipping levels in yeah. entrepreneurship, being on it, in athletics, whatever it might be. And uh and so between between the start and where you really get to to that, there is a grind there that has to be acknowledged, right? Mm-hmm. And you certainly had it with the growth of the company. You've certainly had it in your personal life. And that grind has to be embraced in some way because things aren't going to go perfect. You do have to do all those things like you were just talking about with surfing. To, you have to get past all of those things to yep. get to the win. Yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be points where it, it all looks really bleak. And then we're going to Super talk about bleak. a lot of these points <laughs> where sure. at the start it looked bleak. I was out of money. Things weren't working. And it was like, oh, damn it. You know, like another one. Because I failed in a lot of things, not just my men's nail polish company. That's my, my only failure. There was many, yeah. you know, things that I really believed in, but nothing nothing quite had that that sense of the sense of energy, which from subsequently, I've, I've felt many other times. That was the first time I really learned the qualitative difference between what I felt then when I had Alpha Brain ready and all of the things lined up versus what I had felt before, which is more like mind, and I think this will work. It was very cerebral. But this is a, this is knowing with a G. It's like you, you just know it. And I've subsequently felt that, like with my book, with Fit for Service, with, you know, even when I was, you know, we were acquiring Black Swan Yoga, like yeah. I felt it. I felt something there that was like, yes. It's like my whole body just said yes, without my mind having to know why. Yep. And that's, but my intuition took training because my mind was so dominant that the subtle ways that I was tracking and also my map of the whole world wasn't honed right. So my intuition was often wrong, you know, because it just hadn't, it didn't know the territory so well. It was still learning. And I think it's a dance. It's not some magical thing. It's a dance between your subconscious, your ability to track a multiplicity of different things that your conscious mind might not be able to track. And maybe, maybe some other, you know, element that's going to some higher levels of your spirituality just maybe but it's not even necessary for that what's necessary is that you understand the map and that your subconscious the same way that you know in the in the movie rain man dustin hoffman has a condition called savant syndrome where he could track you know all of the little things that fell to the ground and yep. he knew what number it was the conscious mind couldn't do that but in savant syndrome which is an actual condition a lot of times what they're doing is accessing an innate computation ability of the subconscious processing of the mind and then being able to bring that up consciously, right? And I think we're doing that all the time and that's what's really fueling our intuition. But without some training and without some some wheels, we just don't have the ability to compute that. So it takes it out of the woo-woo and it's like, oh no, really this is me making micro calculations and micro micro assessments 
to actually arrive to a place where I like I know the probability and the probability is super in our favor and my intuition yeah. says hell yes. Yeah, yeah. You know what that makes me think of too is um when intuition if it is finely tuned and you are making the, all those calculations that doesn't mean the future states going to necessarily be the win. You know, we also in addition to to uh, Black Swan. We've we had a couple other ventures that ended up not working, but it wasn't necessarily because there wasn't magic there. There wasn't something special, but there was other variables. Sure. You're still dealing with a million other variables that could uh, keep something from working that really don't have anything to do with the intuition. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even even still, and and interestingly though, on those other things. Did I have that feeling of like, I bet. yes, did it? No. Oh, I, no. And some of those other ones, like if we're talking about motorcycles or float tanks, yeah. you know, like if we're talking about those different, those different that, ventures, was, yeah. those are like, should we? I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah. You know, like that's where we were at. It wasn't like, this is it, man. I feel it. This is it. There was a difference. Yeah. There was a difference, but the, the stakes weren't that high. They weren't. The stakes weren't high enough for us to actually be waiting for that full fuck yes. Yep. And I think that's something for anybody starting out in their path. Like, don't get distracted with the I think, you know. And maybe you have to take some chances on that until your intuition is honed. And that's okay. It's okay to have those. But when you really start to hone your own ability to calculate, there's a qualitative difference between what feels like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is something. Yeah. And and not. You know, uh, what you're hitting on there too is I think the biggest problem with anyone that doesn't achieve success, it's it's they look at the thousand steps it's going to take and then not take the first one. Yeah. And it, it, the first one's the hardest one. And I, one thing I really believe in with the content that Onnit puts out is it can be... Um, aspirational or inspirational to take that first step but more importantly it's affirmational to take all those other ones right well said and um that first step though is the hardest but if you can get yourself to do that is tough because you don't know what's coming you know that you don't know what's coming you may not even know how to do what you're doing but the only way to get it done first step yeah so let's jump ahead now to this step, which is is not the last step. This is just another step. And so to go to where we are now, we have to go back to you know the point where we did our last podcast, which was me stepping down as CEO. Yeah. And at that point, I recognized that I had taken on it as you know CEO, as official captain. I'd taken it as far as my journey was going to take it in that in that capacity, right? Like. I was no longer willing and desiring to do the job that the right CEO, you, would be doing on a day-to-day basis. And it was just this, it was a, it was a, a recognition of now's the time. Now's the time to, now's the time to do this. And that was again one of those knowing moments. And and also what was necessary for that is that I didn't have an identity attachment to those three little letters, CEO. Like that made me something special that i could put on my business card and talk to people about my identity was scattered into a million things it's not like i don't have an ego and i don't have an identity but i'd done a good job like diversifying my ego 
into a certain in a certain way it was mm-hmm. in a bunch of other different stuff it was in my spiritual actualization it was in my you know fit for service community it was in my book writing it was in my poetry it was in my podcast it was in my newsletters it was in my posts it was in so many other things and yes of course it was in on it but it was just a small part and so like it i didn't even suffer that identity crisis and a lot of people would ask me hey how you're doing after stepping down i'm like fucking great because yeah. I because I didn't have so much wrapped up in it, that was also it made it easier, and it also m- made m- my judgment clearer that this is the time for me to let these aspects go. And we had that, you know, with you as the new CEO, and now me in a different role. That arm's length discussion, I'm like, all right, so now what do I do? Well, product development. I love being in product development. I have constant new ideas. I have a deep understanding of what can make someone a little better. I want to be involved in that. And it's like, yeah, of course, obviously that's where your magic is still being served. And, you know, to this day, I've still only missed, I don't know, one or two of those meetings since the inception of on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's been something that stayed on. And then what else? Oh, well, I, I love talking about on it and advertising on it on the podcast and doing these other things. Okay, great. And I want to be on the board for those big decisions that are coming, like this big decision to sell the company and, you know, holding that space great so we just outlined what that was and that put me in the position where i was doing absolutely everything that i wanted to do for on it and was always available if a person needed me an employee needed me or if there was a decision that we needed to talk over if i had an idea that wasn't like a hard bound you know but it was a clearly defined step down and that was a big position as like a parent to say like okay you know on it my child like you're now in better hands being held by the community. Like you don't need to be like my initial fathership of it. It was time to let that aspect go. And and you're an adult now and you're going to find your way in your own, in your own way with this different thing. And I'll always be there to support you. But it was that kind of like kicking, kicking the kid out of my house moment yeah, and letting it be held by the collective group of which you were the new captain of that. And so that was like a big step. But at that point, we'd already had a couple, a couple, you know, different ways in which we were trying to actually sell a minority stake in the company to get more working capital to help this thing grow, to get some expertise from some people. And it just wasn't, it wasn't working. You know, we got really close with one, that deal did fell through. We got not so close on <laughs> the next time around. Yep. You know, and it was like, eh, I don't know what's gonna happen here, but you know. My love for on it's never changed and my passion for it's never changed, but my desire to continue in the capacity I was has changed. So let's see what happens if I take a step back and let this thing run from someone who is truly passionate as you are to put in those ridiculous hours to check under every rug. And we'll talk about some of these yeah, things that yeah. are in there that are necessary that I used to do that yeah. now you were willing and eager to do and more qualified to do because of your desire to do it in the way that you didn't have your energy spread to all of those things that i mentioned no it's true i i um really had my identity wrapped into on it quite a bit over over the years of being here and on its success was my success and vice versa and so i i really was tied very deeply at the roots of on it and so uh i think think um that transition wasn't really all that hard for for 
um, you, me, or the team. It felt it felt yeah. very natural. It was very natural. And I think the one thing it did allow us to do is just because of the difference in our personalities is I focused very much internally and went to operational efficiency and and like all those like less sexy things that we to try to drive profitability and mm-hmm. and um, because we didn't get. Uh, any external cash infusion that we had to generate it ourselves. And so it looked internally and then um, things started started to chug very quickly. And while this this company was poised to benefit greatly from that anyways, and we were hitting a, a, a point from the marketing team where revenue was going to start going up. And then when we combine that with uh, our flow through going up and then COVID happened on top of it. And while we didn't take advantage of COVID in any ways, like we sell long shelf life food and immunity supplements and at-home fitness, but none of those even became our top eight products, right? So we didn't take advantage of it, but there were tailwinds of more people shopping online and more people worried about their health. Mm -hmm. And so all those things, that confluence of things that, that happened at the same time really caught the company coincidentally uh together and it grew very uh quickly over this year and so then it became obvious that like well if we're going to take our big shot if we are we do want on it to achieve its highest and best goal of touching as many humans as possible then we need help to scale us to that next level platform that's something we could only do ourselves over decades what we might be able to do over the next few years by having a partner that's already established in that way yeah and when we're you know when we're talking to unilever and we're talking to them about what they're able and capable of doing with on it they're an international company and Mm -hmm. joe and i talked rogan and i talked about what we always envisioned for on it and he actually coined this he says Onnit is a disruptive global entity. He said that. Like why he said that, I don't know. But it was like, okay, yeah, man. Disruptive global entity. And I think our principles have extended across the globe, but our yep. products hardly have because there's a lot of logistical steps and challenges for us to actually put the tools in the hands of the world collectively we can put ideas into the world people can consume our content on instagram or the you know on an academy anywhere but we haven't been able to get tools in the hands of most of the world that's right you know just a couple countries maybe mostly just the u.s right but they have all of that already already worked out they have the team they have the expertise they have the council they have the ability to get it all out there and you know beautifully in talking to the you know some of the principals there the alignment was unbelievable you know i was my goal was that i really want to respect whoever's taking this over because i i love on it you know this is a this is a child to me this is the closest thing i have to a child and i was hoping that i would really respect the people who were going to take it over and understanding that also they needed to leave on it as it was with the team in place and all that but when i met you know the principals there and you know spent time with peter and i recognized like oh man this is someone that i really really like like this is (laughs) he was 
at Burning Man the same year that I, yeah. you know, that I met my my met my wife. Right? There was just all of these different things of like this is like a brother, you know. And that was like that was beautiful, and I'm so happy that it worked out that way. And that's one of those things where I just tip my cap to the universe and say like thank you for offering you know not only this opportunity for on it to grow into where it's ultimately becoming but thank you for you know bringing people at the top that really resonate with what our core character is which is heart and which is this real feeling this understanding of what the pulse of this is and it's not just because he went to burning man once or whatever that doesn't ultimately matter it's just an example of it wasn't what I expected, and it's just worked out better than I ever would have expected and way better than any of those previous meetings that we had. Yep. And I'm not trying to put out a universal endorsement of everything that Unilever has done with its 180,000 employees and dozens of brands. Yep. I'm not in that position, but what I am here to do is make sure that Onnit reaches the world in the best way possible, and that's what I'm focused on. And I truly believe with every cell of my being that knowing with a G that these guys are going to be able and gals are going to be able to take this to what the ultimate fruition of what on it can be it's going they're going to help make on it on it from here yes Un- undoubtedly and when i i had some apprehension going into it thinking that there was any likelihood we were going to get interest from a company that big that we would accept. I knew we'd get interest, but I didn't think there's so many global entities that um, I'll stop short of saying aren't doing right by the world, but aren't doing it to the level that we would expect. And Unilever is definitely not one of those companies. I don't have to fake being excited about that. I don't have to sell it to the team because genuinely that, that company and uh, uh, Peter himself are doing more for sustainability than most countries. And, and it's their responsibility to do that. They're in the position to be able to do that, but they genuinely are. And they're backing it up. And, and then secondarily, they're going to allow on it to continue mission without, you know, the disruptive interference. And that, and that was incredibly clear. And also like, I'm sure that there's going to be things that, you know, now that I've we've established that relationship with them that will be able to inform the parent. Like any parent-child relationship, yeah. like it should be it should be bilateral. And I think oftentimes we get that wrong. It's like you do what I say because I said it. No, we should be learning from our kids. Yeah. And our kids should inform us how if we've forgotten how to play, they should teach us how to play. If they understand something that's of a new morality, that's of a new ethos and era and epoch than our generation. And they see it in a different, let's see through their eyes. And I really believe with him that I'm sure as we go on and this relationship is established and you know, we're that one phone call away and we know each other and we're part of this family, like we're gonna find things like, hey, we see this in this other corner. We came across it. It doesn't feel right to us. Like, and and actually try to affect change from the inside. And I don't I don't have any of those things in mind, but I can just see I can see the type of relationship where instead of saying oh big corporation bad like it exists and they will always exist. How can we from the inside you know change them so that and improve them so that they become better so that the world becomes better? It's yeah. like you can look at McDonald's and say oh fucking McDonald's. All right, what about if what if you got into McDonald's and and owned you know had like that influence on 
whoever Ray Crocs, <laughs> you know, yeah, new team is yeah. probably is a conglomerate. Whatever, you're right in there. You're yeah. like, you guys, like the way that you're fucking getting your chickens is fucked up, and it's not going to work in this world, and it's not right. And like, and have them listen and be like, you know, you're right. You know, we, we're really not doing these chickens proper. Well, you know, you're. You're not just saying that though. If you look at Ben and Jerry's uh, uh, social, they they check them all the time, and so yeah, the, Ben just and Jerry's mere, is another company that Unilever owns. Yeah, so I mean, just the fact that 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 is, uh, I don't know if it's encouraged. It seems like it is though. It, it uh, is pretty encouraging, and that's the type of dialogue you want, right? Yeah. Like you want to yeah. have that. That's something that we've encouraged internally too. Yes. Is like those dissenting those dissenting views are treasured. And you have to reward those, you know, because that's the only thing that's going to come filtered up. You have to reward the courage to say the thing that goes against the consensus. The opposite, and you know, as a side note, the opposite of what's happening in the world right now, where people who go against the consensus are vilified. But those voices need to be cherished because it takes courage. It takes courage to do that. And if you don't abide by those principles, you're going to get sunk because you're going to be high on your own sauce all day. Yeah, you know, in uh, I, I made a couple notes as we go through the 23. There is one thing that that wasn't in there. I was trying to figure out a place to put it in there because it's something that you have always done. And it's honestly maybe the most important thing that you could teach people because I've never seen anybody do it better than you. And that is to protect yourself from the infallibility complex. Anytime that you have absolute power, it it it's a problem if you do don't reward people with dissenting opinions because then you get people that are just a reflection of whatever you say right or wrong and then you start to get confused that man I'm I'm on a roll I'm right all the time and then you start to take things in the wrong direction and when a dissenting opinion comes up it is vilified not just by you but by the group right and that can happen organizationally or uh uh just in in any sort of tribe big or small and you from the very beginning every time i've seen somebody challenge you even if they were way out of line you sat quietly listened and pondered and checked yourself yeah and that's something that that um i think is one of the most important leadership lessons that anybody can learn because the moment you get into the infallibility or don't create a system of checks and balances for yourself, it might take a long time, but you're going to sink. Yeah. Bonus rule. We just gave a bonus, bonus rule. We just gave yeah. a bonus rule. I actually, you know, and I we're gonna we're gonna avoid saying names and positions of all employees. We're gonna tell stories and things, but we had a contrarian on our C level who was just naturally a contrarian. And I think probably he stayed and was valued for that even probably longer than his, <laughs> yeah. than his natural time was because it was so nice to have a contrarian, right? You know, mm -hmm. like instead of it being like, God, he's disagreeing with everything we say, like that was such a valued position because he wasn't always right and often was the contrary opinion was wrong. But ultimately like having that voice that we can consistently count on to play the devil's advocate but play it for real yeah <laughs> you know like like genuinely for real play devil's advocate and come at come every at strong every single opinion and even come at me you know and, and ultimately not all of this was good but like it was it was appreciated it was appreciated that everything was everything was always being checked and measured yep and uh and you have to you have to celebrate that so important yeah 
Yeah. Well, we started with one. Um, let's uh, the bonus one. Let's get into let's get yeah. into these. And I think that one does fit in here. So we'll come back to in. it when yeah, when, yeah. when uh, we come back to it. All right. Um, number one, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, your mission, your mission, the way to think about your mission is your mission is solving a problem. Like, always think about the problem you're solving. Don't think about this cool thing that you have. Like always focus on the problem. So what was the problem? Is like the problem was that Onnit was trying to solve. People didn't have the tools, the energy, the inspiration to actually take those steps to be better tomorrow than they are today. Better next week than they are this week. Better next month than they are this month. It was a big thing. And that's why our mission, Total Human Optimization, it was big, but the problem was the same. There was a there was a missing need for a place where they could get information, tools, and inspiration all in an energetically aligned place, like a single flag that was planted in the ground strong. And that was the that was the problem that we were addressing. And that ultimately becomes the mission in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I when I hear you say that, I almost think that that is the the plant or the tree that grew from the initial seed because I think there's even something that happened before that. There there was this almost unconscionable lack of conversation around brain health ever. Mm. And and uh not only not only was there not conversation about brain health, there wasn't conversation about mental health or mental acuity. And we had been talking about heart health for 50 years. No one's talking about brain health, but all of a sudden, you know, you start hearing people talk about CTE and NFL players t five years down the road or PTSD and soldiers about that time or ADHD and kids, Alzheimer's and adults. And we're, we're talking about deficiencies of the brain, but no one I had ever heard was talking about people, uh, brain health for people baseline up until I heard you and brain performance, right? And yeah. you were the first person to talk about it, but not just talk about it, talk about it from how exercise can help, how nootropics can help, how um, uh, things like L-tryptophan can help, uh, positioning the mood and balancing yourself to get into flow state can help, all of those things. You were the first person I ever heard talk about it. It's it's interesting because that that was established for the body. Like people understand that if the if you want the body to perform in a sport, then you have to do these different things. Yeah, but we're not we're not physical professionals. We're mental professionals. Most of us, yeah, very very few are actually physical body professionals, where we're actually doing something with our body that is our vocation and how we earn a living. We're really using our mind, mm -hmm. and so understanding that there's ways to both train and support the the mind. To actually reach its potential to become on it so again tools information inspiration all of these things coming together and looking at the totality of a being and saying all right where's the place to start well it sure as shit ain't the body because that's all for funsies for most of us yep you know and it's obviously we're not talking about treating medical conditions so performance of the body it's for fun you know but the mind like getting the mind to perform well that that can make a huge difference that can be the difference in your career and your professional capability and whether you able to finish that piece of writing or literature or art or whatever that project is you're working on it can you stay focused enough can you support yourself again with the, with the products the information the inspiration all of the things that you need and the the diet the lifestyle all of that can you get that 
and uh, and so that was the problem that, and even that we were solving. Physical, right? Like like it, you've played a lot of basketball. Sure. Uh, do you play better when your mind's right? Exactly. Right. Like uh, so. That's much what you hear all the athletes say. Ninety percent is it's mental. Mental. You know, mm-hmm. they'll all say that. But then, how much time do you spend training the mind? Well, now. Lots of people are. Lots of people. <laughs> Lots of yeah. people are. That's become more in vogue now because people understand that. Now yeah. people, there's float tanks in every locker room and like that just wasn't a thing before. Yep. So start with the problem, you know, uh, really yes. deeply understand the problem that you're looking to solve mm-hmm. and and really go go towards that and let it be your mission to solve that problem in the in the most beautiful and efficient way possible. And you don't start with the solution all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You start with the direction, maybe. Sure. And I think you did that. Like you, you talked about how you had to pivot several times as you were there. You had the basis of something. You didn't know exactly what it looked like initially, sure. but you just started working on it, and and it did. It started with like, well, you felt kind of shitty after with a hangover, and then it evolved into mental performance. Yeah. And so you took the first step. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. That was a that was a clear point of well it is important to like support your body when you're hung over but that's also again not nearly as important as every single day can i get my mind to be a little bit better yes you know and like that's that's something that i think was really a, a huge huge rocket propulsion for where we were going yep all right uh you were your first and last customer. So I think this is really important and I'll explain this, you know, how I how I look at it. A lot of people think of like being an entrepreneur, I'll, I'll create this widget for this market that I'm not even interested in. You know, like I imagine, you know, one of my favorite widgets is the little skewers that you put on the end of corn cobs so you don't have to hold yeah. the buttered corn cob. Yeah. Well, if you're going to make that widget, you better know, eat corn. You better eat corn. <laughs> yeah. You be, especially in today's world, you know yeah. what I mean? Like all of these other easy, simple widgets, they've all been done, right? But if you fucking love corn and you grow corn and you got your heirloom corn seeds and they're coming out purple and gold and white and it's all multicolored and beautiful and you understand the right way and you have this thing and you and you're you're willing to put out content about corn and corn souffles and corn popcorn and how to make this thing and you sell this widget like that's your right thing for you you're your first customer it's like you who are tired of getting your fingers all buttery when you eat your delicious heirloom corn yeah then do that but if not like i just don't think it works in today's world this idea of i'm going to be a patent inventor and i'm going to come up with this widget thing maybe in the bleeding edges of tech or like the bleeding edges of mechanics you can come up with that of like if you're making a component for a laser because you're a fucking genius, but you have no use for industrial lasers, like I get it, <laughs> like that. Yeah, that might really work. But as a on- normal entrepreneur, you know, re- you got to be in there. You got to be your first customer. Alpha Brain was something I wanted to take all the time. Still Joe, to this Joe, day, and I still take it all. I'm on it now. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on. I'm on a double dose right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Joe was the same. You know, he still doesn't do a podcast without it. He still doesn't do a UFC broadcast. We wanted this. We were our first customer. Literally, I took it first, the very first one. Joe took it second. You know, we were literally the first customers of of this product and, and of every subsequent product. You know, and I think that's really important to be your first, like in whatever way. And we'll go through some of the other, some of the other things. But 
also the last, and this is something that I talked about as well, at the point where you're done, like let's say go back to that initial analogy, you're just done with corn. You're like, ah, I'm on, I'm keto now. I don't eat corn anymore. Yeah. You know, at that point, it's time for you to get out. Yeah. Like it's time for you to let somebody else handle it who's still passionate about corn. You know, like get out. And and for me, it wasn't exactly that point. Like I'm still an on it customer, and that's why I'm still always going to be involved, even with the uh, you know impending transaction and the change of ownership. Like we were just talking before about the ways that I'm going to continue doing everything that I wanted to continue to do. Anyway, anyways, like so I'm still a part of this you know as long as it, and if if i wasn't it would be a different conversation yep you know it'd be a di- it would be like look i'm just done with human optimization i'm gonna get fat as shit <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> pick my nose all yeah, day or and play be video some kind of like you know spiritual ascetic where i just don't eat and i just waste away because of the body but i don't believe that i believe that the body is yeah. the seat of the soul and so i'm always going to be putting that passion in that fire how do i make this thing even better yeah you know and so that's why you know i'm going to be an on it customer forever and that's the way i want it you know i want it to be that way so i was both first and last customer and i think that's the sweet spot you want to be in it is i i hadn't heard anybody say it just like that before but the corn analogy is actually pretty interesting because i'll take that even a step further is you can tell somebody's going to have a successful business if no matter what they're selling you can tell or they can tell you why it's one of the most important things in the world, right? And if that corn person is talking about how how this is the the new way to make uh, gasoline, and you know they're talking about all the places that you can add corn, and even if you're looking at them like you're talking some bullshit, <laughs> but they really believe it. Uh-huh. Like they 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 thirst for for how important this is to the world. That matters, and that's going to win. That passion is going to win, and they are it. You know, first and last is the same as ride or die, right? Like yeah. they are there no matter what, right. and uh, uh, and you've always been that with total human optimization. So it's not just alpha brain and brain health and cognitive, but all the way through. We don't have a product that I don't think you were or that you weren't the first customer of. And that's a, you know, that's a secret. People are like, how did you come up with all of these different products? And first of all, there's a whole host of people who help, you know, come up with both ideation, but I'm a deep part of this. And it's, I become a customer of something. And then I see that thing, a possibility for that being better. Sometimes it just doesn't exist at all. Like, you know, there's just no way, but oftentimes like I'll see some, oh, like the, the steel mace, for example, right? Like, I saw in some obscure websites, you know, My Mad Methods. Yeah. Obscure original. Magazine. Not yeah, even magazine, a, right? Yep. I was like, wow, they're swinging this mace and it comes from the 12th century Persian. I found some obscure place that Bad will ass. send me one and I start messing around with it. And I'm like, this is great, but this was really hard. The weights are off. The handle's weird. Everything's like, I want to use this, but it doesn't exist. So I became like, I made that product for me because I wanted it because I thought I was going to enjoy it. And still to this day, I enjoy it. I love it. you know. And, and so my ideation is just because I'm passionate about all of these areas of human optimization and I'm in there and I'm doing it. Yep. And some of the things that I take that we don't, you know, I'm still harping on us trying to figure out a way to meet or exceed something else that I'm doing. You know, some of our product development meetings, I'm like, fuck guys like i'm still taking this thing and it's good but can we do it better and there's been things on the docket for years where we're like "Ah, can't quite do it better maybe we'll 
you know, but we're just not quite there yet where I would be willing to switch over and be a new customer yeah. of that thing. So it's until we solve that problem, I'd rather be the customer of somebody else. And that's a shitty place to be in. Like if you make a product, but you're using someone else's product, don't fucking make that product. Yep. Like you got to be your first customer. Like you got to, if you make it, you got to make the switch because it's better. You did it. I tell this story to this day of, of digest tech leading to total gut health. That's what happened there. You made digest tech because you wanted to take those enzymes. We yep. made total gut health because you were taking digest tech and other people's shit. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. exactly, that's exactly it. I was like, great. Now I don't have to buy these enzymes from anybody because we've made the flagship digestive enzyme. We got all of the different ingredients in here that I want in a, you know, high level digestive enzyme. But I'm still taking HCL and I'm still taking some probiotics. I'm still taking some prebiotics. I'm still taking this Saccharomyces boulardii separately. Yep. Let's put let's put all these together. And now it's yeah, top five product. Right. And then I was the first customer. And I'm still, you know, to this day, I'm gonna be the last customer. This is one of those things that it's top five for me too. And interestingly, our top five is also Yours? my top five mm. i mean maybe with some of the fitness stuff not you know like you could say that i use the mace you know more than our average sales would be but yeah for the more our core products like if you're looking in my travel bag you're gonna see you know the alpha brain the total gut health yep you know the total, total human, human new packets mood. you know the new mood and the shrimp tech this is what this is what you see. Super yep. stoked that we have the new mood instant, by the way. That's, oh, a, that's yeah. fucking good. The, we're get, we've gotten so much better at flavoring yeah, and, too. And we'll talk about we'll yeah, talk about yeah, some yeah. of that, like doubling down on our wins, because that's yep. an that's an area where we could have been a lot better. Yep. But yeah, man, it's it's that the secret is is that I'm I am the I am the the audience. I am the market. I am the one. And me not me representing just the needs at large and understanding that we're all a lot more similar than we realize yep. you know we're all so much more alike each other than we are different as much as we try to pretend that this person is other this person is other because of this is we're all very much more similar from a dna right. level from a desire level we all want to live a long healthy life with a family with a lot of love you know and we all have a struggle it's just they're no all doubt. different no doubt and yep. that's the, and that's really that's really the beauty of it and um and I think that puts you in such an advantageous position as otherwise, like if you don't, if you have a workout company, but you don't like working out, you're never going to get it. You're never going to really understand. So you're not going to be able to guide it, you know, but if you're really right in there, you'll be able to always make those right decisions. It doesn't mean you'll be impeccable, but you'll be right more than not. That's right. Yep. The other thing I want to talk about is um, sometimes it still doesn't work. So this is something that, this is something I want to bring up because to this day, my favorite pair of pants are the Aubrey Marcus Collection stretch jeans. Oh yeah, by far. Yeah, I wear those. I wear those probably three days out of the week, like a ridiculous amount. I wear them every time I go to the airport. They're an amazing piece of custom cut and sew clothes. And we kind of launched them. I have three pair, by the way, just <laughs> yeah, to get yeah. that out. I, I like them too. And the Aubrey Marcus sweatpants. I wear them yeah, every night for sure. So like there, we made some incredible things that I am still a customer of, but why, so why didn't that work? Why didn't that, I mean, it, we sold some, yeah. it was fine, but it didn't take off. And I think one, apparel wasn't our core competency. It wasn't in an area that we, to really make something like that work, if you're going to branch out to something else, you got to go heavy, like yeah. go heavy or not at all. And this is like a, 
another rule. I don't know if we'll get to this. And oh yeah, this is actually number three. Yep. So we're going to go right to this. You know, right now it says be great or not at all. But there's another section to that, which is not only be great, but go go heavy or not at all. Yes. And we weren't willing to be an apparel company. You know, we weren't really willing to go heavy enough and attack apparel in the way that we were willing to, because it was tangential. It was just like, it was didn't fit with the mission, ultimately. It was an awesome right. product, but it didn't line up with that, that it wasn't mission. wasn't totally, total human optimization. No, yeah. it was total, you know, human casual luxury, yeah. you know, which yeah. is like not the same thing. So being mindful of that, like, it was a great product. I was the first customer. I will be the last customer because we're not going to make any more of those and yeah. I'm going to have to keep my old ones. But it doesn't mean that it's going to work for now and it's going to fit into that mission. Um, so there are. it doesn't mean that it's going to guarantee success. Well, in, even even in things that are total human optimization, like something that you were taking for a while and you were a big advocate of was fulvic minerals mm. and it was a very esoteric uh, a product and we came out with it but it just didn't sell it was just too niche for what we were trying to do and honestly i stopped taking it because our flavoring of that was garbage we even advertised it tastes like dirt i think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like that but there was, was no way to flavor it and <laughs> and old, i bet we could we could now we could probably now yeah you know but i ended up switching to you know i'd take the sea salt and ocean minerals and things things of that nature just going back to like the salt basis of the minerals yep i'm still interested in fulvic but we had such a disaster trying to flavor it that ultimately i didn't want to take it anymore yeah and so i stopped so i stopped taking so that product was one of the ones that we just had to let go yeah which is another another rule kill your darlings we'll get to that but but that idea so going back to that be Be great. great be great or not at all or go heavy or not at all we also made that mistake with personal care we Very had some, much with we had care. some personal care products that did actually fit more into the mission. What goes in your what goes on your body gets in your body. Yep. It is part of human optimization. But and the products were great, but we weren't a, we weren't willing to go heavy enough. We weren't willing to push down the accelerator on those particular topics because it wasn't in our core competency. It was a whole other field that we would have had to look at. Yeah, it 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 fell into the lifestyle that I think people would equate with an on it lifestyle. And in fact, I remember us planning a video where you were going to eat every piece of our personal care. I have a picture licking it and, in a magazine somewhere. Yeah, and it'd be deodorant, lip balm, all of it was- And licking was, the deodorant, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> Super safe, and like the, the toothpaste was interesting. And yeah. but, but you're right, like it- and it fell into this area of just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Uh, yeah. And that's what it felt like. Like we could do it and we could even claim it was total human optimization, but should we go there? Yeah. And it, the thing, the lesson for me is, and we're, we'll get into, you know, expand on those winners, but it, it kept us away from, from focusing in on some of those hero products because developing products is not, not a lazy man's game. No. No, and that, you know, one of the things, so talking about being great, you know, great at it, one of the things that we realize is we're always going to be judged by the worst product. It's like the chain is as strong as the weakest link. Uh Like we're going to be judged by the worst thing that we have. And so we had had resistance bands that we were selling at one point 
that kept snapping. Yeah, they weren't good. They, they were not good, right? But they had the Onnit name on it. Yeah. We have the Onnit name on these resistance bands. And it's, of course, nice to have resistance bands. Yeah. But these things would snap they like great. bad rubber bands, right? Yeah. And so we're like, oh, fuck. Like, this is not good because we're going to be, the moment that thing snaps, then in someone's mind, our brand snaps. Yep. You know, the Onnit brand just snapped, just took a dent, just took a fucking divot. Yep. Right out of that is that they're looking at this thing that says on it and is looking bro- bro- you know, broken on the ground. And so, now I'm going to take a capsule? Like, yeah, yeah you know? exactly. Yeah, where's the trust with the customer? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where we didn't take the time to engineer the resistance band to the level where it was great. Yes, you're, you know? you're exactly right. And especially because a lot of Onnit customers wanted to use resistance bands for explosive type training. For sure. And they, and so they they were not the resistance bands for that, right? Yeah, and you know if we wanted to go back to that, we know now the we know now the rules. This were part of the lessons, yes. Which hopefully this transmission is helping people so they can at least hear it. Maybe you'll have to make those mistakes yourself, but yep, at least hear it first. T-shirts were something I think we did a good job of because most companies they just take the basic stock T-shirt which doesn't fit, you know, at all. Yep, and it's the wrong material, and it looks feels really cheap. They just put their logo on it, and they they call that a day. But I was never okay with that. Like I always wanted to find whether it was the bamboo t shirts that we came out, or the custom cut and sew t shirts that we came out, or the you know the poly blend t shirts that we came out, whatever we came out with. I wanted it to be like this is a badass t shirt, and we saw what the effect of that was. So many people were like. These Onnit shirts are my favorite shirt. Yeah, those bamboo shirts were the most amazing things, except coming out of the dryer. You'd have to <laughs> yeah. dry them forever. But but they were amazing. And the most incredible thing that I think a decision you made early on is we made des- uh, designs, whether it be the chimp or the zombie or one day as a lion, and just put that on the shirt and didn't put on it anywhere on it. Yeah. And so the, the reason I thought that was so genius is because for me as a customer, before I started working here, I was able to emotionally connect with Onnit in a way because it created an identity for it where you didn't need to tell me your damn name. Like, I, this was Onnit. And I thought that was a really cool thing that the brand did. Yeah. This is a great segue uh, into number four. Winning is when people want to wear your T-shirts. Yes. And so... Okay, this speaks to the quality of our shirts, the quality of the designs, you know, getting EV to make those badass designs. Mm-hmm. But it also speaks to what we stand for. And we stand for something again that's it's an emotion. It's like it's it's a feeling that you get that actually putting on that shirt reminds yourself. You know, it's just like why people get tattoos. You know, you get a tattoo that says truth. Well, you want to be reminded to tell the truth get a tattoo that says love oh you want to be reminded to open yourself to love yeah right it's not a not a signifier of masters like you want to be reminded of that you put on an on it shirt you want to be reminded like i'm going to be on it today i'm going to strive for that little bit little bit extra and that's that it's an emotional feeling you know it's the feeling that someone gets when they put it on and so many different brands have done that well nike you know, really had that strong for a long time, especially in the Jordan heydays. Like you wore Nike, yeah. you felt like you were Mike. Or the old Bo Nose shirts. Oh yeah, you felt, oh fuck yeah, yeah. like I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Bo can do anything, I can do anything. Yep. You know, and, and those that kind of emotional connection is those, really important. Those shirts, 
I, I really think that what makes those special is, you know, there's some brands that just uh, reach ubiquity where people are wearing their logo and not even thinking about it because their shirts are just sold everywhere, right? But with with most shirts, when you put them on, you're putting them on consciously because there's something on it that you're representing today. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought that was really special and attracted me to the brand is people were wearing that or even getting tattoos of some of those pictures oh, yeah. because they wanted to represent that. And I thought that that signified an emotional connection that certainly had never been done in the supplement space. There is no other supplement company w- where people were getting tattoos or even wearing uh, the shirts regularly. But But to do it in graphical form was different. Yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing besides, and I and I love seeing, and still to this day, you know, you go through an airport, you go through a different city, I'll see someone with an on it shirt, and I'll always, I'll cross the street, I'll come sure. up and be like, hey, nice shirt. Yeah. And sometimes Just they recognize, yeah, sometimes they recognize me, sometimes they don't, sometimes they take a minute, oh, thanks, man. Oh shit, yeah, you know, like it's always like a cool, a cool moment, but. I, it's you know I love I love seeing that and I love knowing that you know the brand still means that much and still matters to people and you know then internally too you know I mean we don't have any dress code we don't tell people to wear on it stuff outside of like the coaches in the gym who yep. wear their coach attire which we're not even that strict about that nah, either you know uh-huh. primal soldiers in there with short shorts and no shirt on yeah. all, all the time but he's you know he's kind of our mascot in many ways in the gym <laughs> and there. but uh but ultimately like so many people internally rocking on it gear rocking on it shirts like proud yep proud proud to work here and that that goes to our entire internal culture of like we really stand for what we pretend we stand for because if there was any of that dissonance Nobody wants to rock our shirt unless they have to rock our shirt. Yeah. You know, it's not, oh, that's the place I get my salary from. I'm just wearing the shirt because it was free and said no one. You know what I mean? Like you want to, you wear the shirt because you, you like, you like what it represents. It means something to you. Yeah. And you want other people to, to see that. It's funny internally, one of the best benefits we can give away is more boost. Boost is our internal, uh, system to, to get on it stuff. And people want that more than, than, uh, you know, gift cards. Yeah, for which sure. is cool for sure. Yeah, getting access to our own, our own, you know, our own stuff. Yeah, which then makes them more excited and more. It's just this virtuous cycle. But uh, and it's it's a place where, like, uh, and you created this for yourself, but then it allowed others to blend their personal and professional life and uh, you know that's something I think people are seeking out more now. Is like not only do where I work. Do I want it to have meaning? But also, like, why why not in have it have your work be an enhancement to your personal life as opposed to a det- detraction from it? Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, rule number four: winning is when people want to wear your t-shirts. Number five: this is a big one. Yep. Thou shalt not escape the law of reciprocity. This is like if we're talking about core principle here for on it, it's respecting the law of reciprocity and this is an old deep law as deep as the universe itself in the quechua language which is the one of the medicine languages from peru that a lot of the indigenous people speak and the shamans and the ayahuasqueros and the different people in the spiritual realms they talk about it the word for it is aini and they feel it they feel it in the fabric of everything this feeling of reciprocity and 
it's something that's deeply, deeply ingrained both in our psyche and in the collective. And if you get out of line of that, it's going to create dissonance in your whole organism. So when people talk about, you know, how it feels to have a com company this successful and maybe they have some issues around money or or anything like that it feels you know they project some funniness about wealth and different things the thing that actually makes it easy for me is to know that in every product we sell i absolutely unequivocally trust that we are running a positive account balance in the bank yeah. of reciprocity yeah. that we are giving them something equal or greater to what they're giving us in their money in their energy in their attention if it's just attention it's something free that the the words that we write are worth their attention if it's a post we make the video you know or whatever clip we post is worth their attention if we ask for their email then the the emails are worth their attention if we ask them to buy a product the product is worth their investment. And not only that, but try to actually build the account balance, give them more, you know, so then they're gonna naturally feel that reciprocity. And that can be, of course, product quality, but it's also something that was revolutionary at the time. It was our return policy. Yep. You know, our return policy, I understood that everybody was playing games where they're saying, oh yeah, if you know you can return your product, you just have to cut out the exact shipping label that got shipped on the box that you for sure threw away, yeah. and then your receipt, and then fill out this form and a quick 10-page survey about why you didn't like it. Bronze the bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Submit that with a wax seal so it's not tampered with, and then yep. it'll go to our returns department, and within 90 days, we will issue you Flip a, a refund. coin and, yeah 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 that was the really game ridiculous. right yep. and then they would advertise you know 100 money back guarantee i knew that was bullshit and so i was like no no we're not going to do that if someone doesn't like it they just tell us they didn't like it they can keep the product you know not for our that was all for all the entry-level supplements all the 30 counts yep they didn't like it they just let us know and we'll give no you your money back and people were like huh like what that doesn't make any sense. Like people are just going to get the product and pretend everybody's going to scam. Everybody's going to, and you yeah. know what? We it, had a couple people who did, but we didn't even notice. And our return numbers were far below industry average. Mm -hmm. And because that act of trust, you know, that act of it was it created this virtuous cycle, created a positive account balance and reciprocity. Because that one person, let's say they buy five on it things. And that, and they don't like this one for whatever reason, just doesn't suit them. Maybe the flavor they don't like, maybe whatever they don't like. When they return it and it's that easy, hit up customer service. Hey, I didn't like this. Okay, cool. We'll refund you your money. They're like, it was that easy. You're like, done. yeah, done. And then when they're looking to shop it on it, they're like, yeah, I'll try that new thing. I'll try this new thing. I'll try this new thing because they know, you know, they know that if they don't like it, it's we're going to make it easy. And so it keeps this virtuous cycle going in yeah. a really productive way and that's that was a game changer i think you know reciprocity the reason that that i think we can brag about it here is because it that virtue holds true when no one's looking and so it, a lot of times there there are companies that do a relatively good job with their customers in reciprocity but not so much with the like their contract manufacturers or right. or an angry employee or there's someone calling bullshit over here and through I, I can say through my entire time here we've always given more to the people that were 
upset with us, angry, whatever it might have been, always over-delivered on our promises. And on any tug of war, we always gave up the rope. Yeah. We always did. And it, it was uh, because of, well, because of a couple of things. N- number one was that we want to maintain that positive balance in all of our relationships, regardless of what they are, what level they are. But then number two, um, it helped us stay focused on the bigger goal and that bigger, more altruistic goal of for the good of all, right? Mm-hmm. And reciprocity is just a smaller part of that that taller virtue yeah yeah and i think even in the even in the severance right like we've we've been as generous as anybody i've ever known with severances yeah and that doesn't make a lot of sense if you're looking from like a pure hr completely business-minded perspective like give them the severance you know that was promised or this the average and but they're not accounting for what that act of reciprocity might do what giving them more on their severance might actually do when they're talking about you know this company to somebody who's then an interesting person or they know somebody and they're like yeah they have that still have that positive feeling yep of like you know what like it didn't work out with on it but you know they always did but right okay. by me yeah they always did right by me yep. and you just never know you know you never know what's going to put out but really just trusting that as you push that out it's going to come back. Yeah, it's. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, but I, I look at reciprocity as like it's like karma in reverse, right? Like 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 uh, karma gets into that woo woo. Uh, you put it out in the world and it comes back to you. But I I actually don't look at it like that. I think that if you are doing right by people, that just becomes very almost predictably secular because Mm. you have interactions coming from all directions and those people are having interactions in all directions. And so when your back is turned, you should hope people are are doing right by you and talking right about you, but they're only going to do that if you're doing right by them. But it becomes exponential in nature with every interaction that you have. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the, the key element to it is to just, don't even worry about the result. If you start worried That's about right. the result, it's a strategy, you know, and yeah. the strategy actually diminishes the thing. But do it because it's right and just trust the law itself. Like allow yourself to go, you know, to just allow that to be the mystery and like push that out. Now, it doesn't mean to be ridiculous, you know, like you have to be sensible as well and honor your own reciprocity because if yep. you give too much, you will be demanding too much from someone else this is the thing that when i have you know negotiations with an employee when they ask for a lot you know and i know that it's pulling a lot out of me yes then i always say like you understand that if i give you this what your expectations are for delivery so that you maintain the reciprocity to me that's virtuous otherwise i'm going to be on and this isn't going to work we can't get into a parasitical uh relationship right because that is not reciprocity yeah and that i mean i can think of uh you know my right hand now and my own little you know small little enterprise that i have going on outside Mm -hmm. of on it is is ian he's my right hand guy and he asked he asked for a big raise and i was like ian you understand that at this salary my expectations of what you're going to deliver have jumped astronomically and there's going to be aspects of what i'm asking you to do that won't be fun you know like you're not going to like it all the time and i love you and we're going to keep this thing 
as healthy as possible, but you that this level, this carries this for me to feel in right relation of reciprocity. And he was like, yep. And we went on a little walk today and he was like, yeah, man, every word you said was true. You know, yeah. like he knows that he's earning. He knows that he's earning this. I know that he's earning it. And so everything is right. But if I just gave it to him and then he wasn't delivering, well, that's when you get in a situation where I'm gonna let him go so it didn't serve him, yep. it doesn't serve anything. You have to be mindful of your own reciprocity. If that's you give right. too much yourself, you're gonna be asking for too much innately from somebody else. And and we've talked about this too, those people that try and win every interaction, yeah. how fucking exhausting that has to be in their life because it, it, they're not benefiting from that karma that they could have where the, the universe starts working for you. So they have to win every time, every day. And it's so much easier uh, uh, having the universe on your side and just allowing some of the wins to come to you, not needing to win every one of those interactions. You talk about somebody like Ian though, and when you have that, somebody that does care about reciprocity, he's heard that message and i've seen that guy grind more than anybody yeah. in this place and so uh you know he takes that to heart and levels up because of it and, and that you, benefits him long term and you were someone that really trusted that as well mm -hmm. you know like in all of our time together you know you've never come asking for a raise you know like you've always trust like i'm gonna do my thing and that's not only trusting reciprocity but it's trusting me to be able to witness you know what's happening and and sometimes actually other people had to remind me you know because i wasn't able to see exactly what you were doing so i was blind so i wasn't able to receive it but then when they brought it to my attention my awareness like, settled oh, yeah. in and i was yeah. like you're right this is this is in right accord with the reciprocity cycle and so it was always easy and you never had to you never had to push that now i'm not saying that if you're in a position where you feel like you you know you deserve more that you shouldn't voice your opinion because people can be blind even yep. me who's very aware of reciprocity and tries to be as observant as possible i'm still gonna miss stuff i'm still gonna be like oh shit you're still making this much like i remember those days like i'd have to scan over and be like does this all feel right we'd have those discussions yeah, we like, did we've had does a lot all of does all this feel right and yeah. you're like well actually maybe over here doesn't feel so right and we're like oh, okay yeah you're right like let's yep. give a raise there Yep, and both examples are right. What Ian did, what I did, they're both right, right? It, but as long as the other person is coming from a place of reciprocity in themselves. Yeah. But no one escapes reciprocity. That law of reciprocity is a law for a reason. And so you, can, you get to choose the direction that you go. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better trust in reciprocity and better value relationships be yeah. because they will bail you out more times than you realize. No doubt. Yep. No doubt. This one is also somewhat related. So the greater the purpose, the lower the paychecks. Yeah. And this is something that's, it sounds very pragmatic and I just kind of framed it that way so it, it's stuck in people's minds. But the idea is basically, if you're doing something in a, in a place that people don't believe in and you're not abiding by any you know higher principles, you're not giving people a sense of pride, a sense of ownership, a sense of contributing to a mission greater than themselves. If you're not giving them any of that, well, what is their what is their take? Their take is going to be purely financial. Yeah. It's going to be how much money I make. And then at the moment someone else gives them a better offer, they're going to fucking take it. Yeah. And even if someone gives them a worse offer but more purpose, they're going to take it. So if you actually, from a very practical standpoint, want to keep your payroll lower, 
have an offer an amazing purpose like give people a real sense of purpose this is well positioned because this is just a pragmatic version of reciprocity right like people everything is an exchange of value and that that value sometimes is passion purpose meaning and a lot of people get that here and if you can create a working environment where the people are genuinely appreciate not only the goals of the company, but the people that are here. If if there's a healthy working environment full of positive people, that in itself provides value that you don't have to offset with pay. We were talking about this recently that that when COVID hit and everybody went to work from home, that uh um that you know, the, the pay expectations started going up, and it was specifically because people weren't mm-hmm. getting the value of being here and around all the people and being next to the gym and all the beautiful stuff that's here. Yeah, that's an, and that's an interesting one. You know, people take a moment to recognize that, like part of what gave people the innate satisfaction and feeling of contributing to something greater was they were connected to the organism through the office, through the energy of everything that was going on here. Yeah. And when we removed them because of what we had to do for, you know, the work requirements, we removed them from this central hub. All of a sudden, they felt less purpose, and they asked for more money. Yeah, you know, so it's like a, the perfect example of. And I bet you're going to see that all over the country. I'm sure there's going yeah. to be studies done on it because it's we've never had an opportunity to measure reciprocity uh, and measure pa- passion and purpose in the workplace like this will provide that opportunity. Yeah, and and maybe if you're in a toxic workplace, people will actually demand less. It could be. You know, like some people will be like, like oh, I fuck, don't have to be God, around I don't all have those to be around <laughs> assholes. Yeah, <laughs> and you know that, and really, you know, when you. When I think about the people that I've hired here and you hiring me, a lot of it came from the fact that I was looking for that in my life at the time. Like I didn't want to just spend 80 hours a week doing something that was fine. Mm. Like I wanted to do something that mattered. This mattered. At least it mattered to me. Yeah. No doubt, that makes a huge difference. All right, the next three, uh, the next three rules we have are. The next three tenants all have to relate to hiring. So this will be this will be good. This will be like a little module in this yep. in this podcast here, all about hiring. All right, number seven: hire people who do what you do too. And this is something I'm always harping on people for because one of the things that everybody who's an entrepreneur does is they hire the gaps, and it's important to hire the gaps. Yeah, like hire the people who do what you don't do. Essential obvious yep. right but a place that a lot of people run into trouble is they don't create redundancy in themselves yep so then they are beholden they are a slave to continue to do that at all times with no substitute you want to take a vacation well you do then the whole fucking thing is going to come back in various states of disrepair and that was exactly the way it was at the beginning yeah there wasn't enough people to do what i did and ultimately some of what i did was very finesse and it couldn't be written in a job description and until you really stepped into that role like things would happen there'd be drama amongst employees that no one could resolve there'd be you know (laughs) some strange thing would happen like what happened you know so i'd always brace when i was coming back from a a trip or going to do ayahuasca or whatever i'd come back like all right what's you know where are the fires what's going on because i was essential to too many things and then as you kind of stepped in you were able to do all of the minutia 
in the way that I was, and maybe not exactly the same, but in your own way, solve the problems that I would solve in a similar but unique way to yourself. And that was that was where I really found freedom. That's where I stepped into freedom as an entrepreneur is when I had somebody that, yeah, sure, I could still, you know, sometimes there was a delta between what I could offer and what you would offer. And it was like, no, no, it's important for me to do this. And it's important for me to, and there was always some exclusive things, but I wasn't, I wasn't beholden to do those every single time, no matter what, because there was people who could do what I did. And that actually started even earlier than you. It started with my marketing responsibilities because this was mm-hmm. where I was actually really strong. And I hired you know, a chief marketing officer who had a different style, but was also very good Yep. and brought him in, even though I could do a lot of what he was able to do, having him do that, you know, and me just being able to kind of guide and add my pieces, huge. Yeah, you know, a couple thoughts about that because uh, first, I have to say, there is no compliment that you ever gave me that felt better than uh, the second trip you took after I started, you came back and you said, to to me specifically, you said, I'm starting to feel so much better coming back from from trips. <laughs> and it was just something really simple, but it was, I could tell before that would just probably grate on you the night before. Like, I don't know what I'm walking into tomorrow. Not only the night before, the week before I left, when yeah. I arrived, oh, I'm in this beautiful place on this, ah, oh, fuck, I wonder what's happening back at home. I just, I'm going to turn my phone off. Just thinking about firefighters and babies getting tossed yeah, from windows. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that felt really good. But, you know, you mentioned um, having, hiring a CMO and, Again, that was like a really brave decision because that is where you were strongest. And so most people would have hired that position last. You actually hired that position either first or second, one of the very early people because you needed redundancy because that was the position of strength for the business. And so you had to do that. Now, that that CMO, brilliant at what he did, but he wasn't... He wasn't the he he couldn't do everything you did. Right. He was good at the marketing part, but he wasn't the inspirational leader type. For sure. And and so you did have to over time uh, replace yourself a bit in pieces, right? Because nobody was going to no uniquely be you. No doubt. And some pieces will never be replaced. And right? that's like the just the essence of me as a as a being articulated in this in this world, right? Like my signature my signature flavor you know like what i can offer that is that is unique to me but all of the different functions have been replaced to such a standpoint i mean shit i got a book deadline coming up you know like and i feel really good even though you know obviously a lot of my roles have been distributed we've talked about that but i know that i can take three months away if i need to and i just need to this is really i gotta lock myself away i gotta do this or maybe i have a spiritual calling to go you know traverse through Bhutan or someplace like that you know like I don't know but if I did I feel like I'm comfortable there and honestly if we're being forthright there's one area that we haven't accomplished that and that's in the ideation and and product side where I'm still an essential an essential role and our conversations are like okay how do we find that how do we find that other person you know Kyle Kyle was that person for a while he's transitioned off to do his own thing great for him yep but finding that other piece, so I'm still going to be able to offer my magic, but we're not dependent on it. 
But know, in even any way. the last time we we talked, you said we got to find that person. So you you were still in that that vein of thought. Is that we still are missing that piece? And I think that's a really smart thing that you did because I think that's going to be a struggle for most entrepreneurs is understand even being willing to back up and then understanding how yeah and and uh that's something that you started doing kind of from the beginning and, and it wasn't necessarily to replace yourself but to create that redundancy and also create those checks and balances that we were talking about before it had multiple benefits uh to it and it's not just for you it's for your other people too because this goes to number eight which is Choose a hole over an asshole. Yeah. Right? This yep. is a huge one. Choose, And I didn't come up with it, but I heard it once. And so I, whoever originally came up with this turn of phrase. Genius. Genius. Yep. Because it's absolutely true. But the problem, why, you'll, why you will stick with an asshole is because they're not redundant. All of the assholes that we've allowed to continue on longer than their tenure, once we realized they were an asshole, but we're like, we got to keep them, it's because they had leverage. And what is their leverage? It's a lack of redundancy. Yep. It's they were doing something unique that we hadn't had redundancy in. And so they knew they had that leverage. And sometimes they protected that leverage, but they knew they had that leverage and they stayed longer than longer than we would have wanted them to because we didn't have that redundancy and so it can put you in these yeah. deleveraged positions where you're stuck with an asshole I, w- I would encourage people if they see somebody leveraging the fact that they're not redundant you gotta let that person go as mm-hmm. quick as possible mm-hmm. because if they're doing that they're doing that for a reason and usually it's to cover up a gap yeah. that, that you just don't know exists and i always say it's similar to uh choose a hole instead of a uh, asshole is we're all pieces to the puzzle, but talented pieces only are helpful if they actually fit. And so if they don't fit into the puzzle, but they're still talented, they don't get to be part of the puzzle. Yeah. 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 That's, that's key. And, and even in these positions, you know, we looked back at these positions where we had a distorted view of the lack of leverage that we had we thought that they were doing more and it was more impossible than it really was yep because finally when we just couldn't take it anymore and we let them go you know or it got uncomfortable enough where they left all of a sudden it was like oh actually we were kind of fine yeah the whole time or and in in one case it actually uh exposed that we had more problems there than we even realized right right it was this false sense of authority yep it was this false and it was and anybody again like if anybody is trying to hide things or trying to create like i i know things that you can't even ever know and it's from my years of experience and blah 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 like be wary he's an eyebrow be really really wary that is a that is a very dangerous sign people who are confident they're teaching they're open sourcing they're allowing people to have full visibility into what they do because they trust how good they are they really do yeah and that is and it also goes to like a broader term of scarcity mindset because those abundant thinkers are the ones that you want because they're creating redundancies for themselves they're an open book that like you said they're teaching but the people that have a scarcity mindset hold things close and that's not good for the business anyway no no that's not going to work long term yep so if you feel that live with your hole (laughs) you know live with your hole. it'll be fine it'll be fine it'll work yeah uh if you make the cut, wield the axe. 
this is a this is a Ned Stark season one Game of Thrones type of thing. You know, like he teaches that lesson early on to Rob. You know, yeah. like he sentences someone to death, and they've got it. They've got executioners in the in the north. You yep. know, they got in- executioners in Winterfell, but they don't use them because if he makes ultimately that decision comes down to the king or whatever the the lord of the north i should probably know the name i watched seven <laughs> fucking seasons of that or eight or nine i don't know whatever whatever he was <laughs> i don't know he died pretty quick he died spoiler pretty quick. alert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know that's a it's a really valuable lesson and uh if you're if it's your decision to make you be the one to do it you know like and that takes it takes some courage and it, it's not comfortable i've never gone into one of those like oh yay yeah <laughs> not once yeah well in two two big lessons that are applicable to what happened here number one like you said if you're going to make the decision you have to live with the consequence it, it is just part of the deal but the other thing is there's some messages that only you can send and in in the many terminations that we've had to do through the years, I, I I don't mean many like we've done more than anybody else. I mean like just in any business they happen. And in all the ones that I sat in as the witness while you did, every one of them ended with a hug. And and it's because you were sending a message of reciprocity in a way of love. And that that it, just because this didn't work out doesn't make you any less valuable as a person. It just didn't fit. And I think, you know, hearing that message from random HR director doesn't mean shit. It just means you don't get a paycheck. And it, then, yeah. And then everybody's absolving themselves of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not my decision. It was it was right. somebody else, and then they have this enmity and this inability to even express themselves to this mythical figure, this overlord who's making these decisions. Ah, uh, well, you know, it's not, and of course the HR director is going to say that because it's not their job to decide who hired or not hired. It's yeah. just like so they have no culpability, and they're like ah, and then that person can't really say anything to them other than voice frustration that they hope is going to carry on, and it just creates this enmity that's not real. But when you sit down, and I always one thing I always did, there's a it would be easy to remove yourself, put up a shield and get like really blocked off. Like we have the ability to block ourselves off emotionally, but I wouldn't do that. I would take a moment, they would sit down. They would they would usually know because it would, would have our HR director and it would have you there as yep. our COO in the, in the room. But I would take a moment and I'd look them right in the eye and I would feel what they were feeling and there's some anxiety and some discomfort and I'd breathe with them for a second and I'd allow that to set in and... I wouldn't waste any time. No, you it just, it was right out of the yep. gate. Like our journey's coming to a close. Yep. And, you know, and sometimes there was explanations that were, that were helpful, but then always an opportunity for me to receive anything they had to say. And, and just me offering that to them and being there as to receive and, and hear them and then talk to them. And, and man, sometimes those were tough. I mean, when it sometimes oh, when it yeah. turns into tears, you know, you see a grown man that you admire who's yep. a good man or a good woman, you know, and in all of those different ways and and you see them break down and you understand, you understand what they're feeling, but you're there and you say, you know, you, you always would focus on what was great about them, you know, mm-hmm. and I also let them know what if there was some reason that they didn't understand, I would of course generously explain that, but it's like you're great it's just this isn't the right place for you maybe this is or maybe this is but you know what no matter what like we appreciate your time here and we're grateful for it 
and you can always count on us as an ally. You know? Yeah. The the um, well, I have to say the fact that you always did start with that, it just got it out of the way, and then we could get to the actual conversation that we need to have there. Right. Uh, there's nothing more uncomfortable than hearing somebody <laughs> build up to the termination over a long period right. of time. But the thing that I I found fascinating when I came here, because I spent. 16, 17 years in the hotel business, when I had let people go, the reason that they would break down is because they lost a job and they had to pay rent. One thing I noticed right away when we had those conversations here, it was much more because people felt like they were losing their family, Mm. like because they had so many connections and so many personal things. And I thought that was the beautiful thing about this, but it also changed the dynamic of what you were telling them because they weren't losing their family and you wanted to make sure that they knew that as part of this. I heard you say almost every time you're not you're still part of the family. Yeah. It's just day to day we need somebody else doing, you know, that work for and then go into the specific reasons and be very succinct in what you're telling them. I think that's really the key is is you can be compassionate without any bullshit. Just having the ability to have those tough conversations and that being the toughest one is an absolute mandatory role for an entrepreneur yeah yeah and you know it's and sometimes you know sometimes there's they really deserve to get let go and <laughs> yeah, like really sure. really deserve <laughs> they it. do some and, amazing stuff to get let yeah, go yeah. yeah and even in those situations like you like having the emotional temperance and you know you have a great story we won't get into those details of someone who it was at the point where you were making that decision. It wasn't me making the decision. You were involved in the hiring. And so, you know, as you became more intricate in the hiring and I was relying on you to make the decisions, you naturally would take these conversations more than me. Yep. But ultimately, even in those really, really tough ones, you know, like your emotional temperance of still weaving those conversations to a hug at the yep. end of the day, you know, even in gross violations yep. of ethics and law, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. like that, that's, uh, yep. there's something to be said for that. Like the, to, to know this is the boundary. This is what needs to happen. This is, there's no severance. Actually, the severance is coming back the other way, but nonetheless, we do this and it's all love, you know, and, and it's still, still holding that kind of divine father energy, not the not the immature warrior that's like, you hurt me, I hurt you back. Yeah, I I think, you know, when I think of our relationship, I think that is one of the harder things for an entrepreneur to find is somebody that they feel embodies the heart of the business. Uh, Because it's not the easiest thing to find because you have to find somebody that genuinely cares about it uh, close to, if not as much as you do. And um, if you find that, that's something that uh, people should grow they should work with and and try to develop because uh, that's harder to find than the person that can design the business the same or or even can think the same way. Somebody that can embody the ethos or the soul of the business is not going to be the easiest thing to find. Yeah. What would you say, we're wrapping up this whole yeah. segment on employees. Yep. There's been a, t- a lot of tough calls you know, like tough calls where it's a tough decision and we've sat down and we've had to have long talks like, fuck, what do we do about this person? Yeah. You know, what do we do about this person? 
What are, do you have any guidance for those kind of 50-50 balls where you want to give someone a chance, but they're showing different signs, but you know they're clearly not an asshole, they're not using leverage, but they got these. Defi- like, what are those kind of, what's your guidance for those 50-50 calls? Yeah, that that's a, a good one. You know, I will say we had a couple 50-50 calls where, where they were big 50-50 calls. Like we had one where the person's talent was out of this world, but also their their rampages were out of this world as well, right? right. So that like that was a, a big toss-up that that had uh, a big effect on the business. And there we we worked out a way to actually give that person a business. And mm-hmm. and let them go off on their own because it it almost felt like that was what that they were crying out for, right. and I thought that was a very unique way to get into a situation like that. We also had a situation where where a a guy that for 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 years I considered to be my best friend was a. 50-50 call where it was like it was one of those things where the business grows and you go from being a generalist to needing specialist. We weren't finding the natural fit. And um and we tried a bunch of different ways. And then uh I worked with him to find out exactly what he was interested in and then and then found a clear path where he could get to something that that gave him the opportunity to excel personally. This company, we've done that over and over and over again. You even look at that CMO running his own company. Mm. We've been able to repl- replicate that story, but you can only do that if you really fucking care about people right. because it did take extra work in each one of those. And, and I just off the top of my head, I think I can give three more examples of us doing that where we actually help people be on a path where they weren't an employee anymore. So we took away the problem, but we gave them the opportunity to not only stay part of the family, but to grow something themselves. That's an unusual thing. I'm not sure if that's exactly advice, but we were able to replicate it. So I know it's a real thing and replicable. Yeah. So it's kind of thinking out, it's not A or B, but sometimes there's a C. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's a way that you can create a tenable situation. And I think Really, ultimately, what we're saying is, you know, when you know you've done your best and exa- when it's close like that and you've exhausted the possibilities and you've really looked at it, you'll really kind of know. You'll know when you've given it all the tries that that it makes sense. When it's close like that, it's just good to know. It's good to know, like, man, we did our best. We really tried to figure this out. That when all relationships, I think that goes is, and it's advice I give all the time, is the moment you feel like, if from from that that reciprocal aspect of the relationship, you say I've I've exhausted my options there. You can feel okay taking taking that out because you have to because it's the last of the options. But if if you go to that, you know that I I, I disagree a bit with that that higher slow fire quick mentality. I think it is it is uh, uh, mitigate quick. But not necessarily fire quick because mm. it, because there are more options than just fire. Right, right, yeah. And I think that's good advice. Yep. All right, 10, don't let cash flow kill you. Woo! We almost, we almost died. We almost died on yeah. the cash flow sword. The, the, the good times don't roll forever. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right, <laughs> they don't, you know, and we, uh, we, and that's a, that's another thing. I think we talk about it in another section, but you know, you said it pretty pretty clear. Like, don't let the good times roll so much you get high on your own, 
you know, yeah. the own ease of, of the way that things are going to go. Yep. And, you know, ultimately what precipitated this ultimate cash flow crisis that we got in was a series of different events. We had this massive construction project because we thought we were going to keep expanding employees at yep. this exponential level. We were going to make this showpiece office for a million dollars. It was just going to be for the marketing and tech department, I a 10,000 square foot space. I know. That was it's like, madness. How it, that was madness. And that was like, it was in such abundance mindset that uh -huh. we weren't managing the cash flow. And then we had a distribution of all our funds because we thought there was going to be an injection of capital and then all of these. And then there was a natural slowdown in the business and this convergence of everything that yep. happened all at the same time. And it was so severe <laughs> that our CFO at the time just <laughs> he said he said you guys are going to be out of you guys are going to be out of money at fe by february 21st and that's i'm it. out and i'm out and he quit he walked out that day <laughs> it's a cfo that son of a bitch <laughs> he just left he just said good luck to no you. two weeks notice no quit that just, day out. he's just like i just don't think i can do it he's like i didn't sign up for this <laughs> i was like yes you did that's literally the job Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> and I remember, man, like it's so awesome to laugh about it now because that got dark, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have anything I would describe as anxiety until then. And I remember, you know, I started trying, I, I was having to make choices about what bills to pay. And I was doing AP every single day because we we're just getting enough money just to pay a couple people and just keep everybody off our ass, keep our suppliers supplying us product. And I remember one day I wasn't even at work. I, I, I was out walking my dog and all of a sudden I was like, man, I'm having trouble breathing. <laughs> and then I, I looked around oh, and I was man. like, oh no, I'm really having trouble. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> and I didn't think about it until afterwards, but I was having a full-blown panic attack, yeah, yeah. even though I had nothing about panic about that. It was just the the stress of everything had overwhelmed me. So I'm here, I'm sitting with a fucking chihuahua in my lap in the middle of my driveway <laughs> and uh, I'm just like whew, calming myself down. And I realized like, man, this, this, this is scary. And I don't ever want to feel this again. Yeah. And I'm never going to. And like, I think of all these lessons, you know, we can go through these and we can feel like we're really smart, but every one of the things that we're talking about, I've learned the hard way. And that <laughs> no one doubt. I learned the hardest. The hardest. The hardest. And so now like I've, but I've become really good at cash flow management now. Like I, I, I think like, very effective in how we use cash and uh, really good at business fundamentals. And I don't think I would have learned that without getting just gobsmacked in the face by that, that time. And it went on for months yeah. uh, where, and it got a little better and a little better and a little better, but I was doing some wild stuff. Like, like we were, you know, trying, well, I'm not even sure I can say that, but, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, like, like we're trying to find somebody to like, like give us a, a mortgage on on our house on Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was hard to do because we were an LLC at the time, so you so just find a guy. Yeah. So, so for that, for that context, like all, like the the level that we're here's here's the thing: we wanted to make sure we could always pay our employees. Yep. Right. So that yep. was first, and we never missed a payday no, for the employees. No. Didn't have to delay. It. And you've heard of companies that have had to go that deep. Yep. And just not pay people for a while, and that's that's really really tough. So we managed to avoid that, but yep. we had to use everything that we absolutely possibly could. Everything. And one of these things was we acquired a house that all of our VIPs could go to, our you know employees could stay at, we could do shoots at, 
and we acquired this house but because we acquired it as an llc we couldn't and we bought it cash we couldn't take, we a, couldn't mortgage take a mortgage so we had to get a dude who would give us money with that <laughs> it's just like it's just just a regular contract not a mortgage but just like okay no. if you don't pay me back i get to keep this we're gonna house. quick claim deed the house to him <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah so we had to go to all of them we're like oh sweet we were able to do that it's like that's 200 grand that means we can pay off some of these you know three month overdue bills to our yeah. suppliers and because of the goodwill this was again where we had to take a massive withdrawal on reciprocity like because yep. we'd done right by all of our suppliers and all of our people like when we were in this position we're like hey we're in a tough fucking spot yep. like we need to extend this net 30 to net 90 yep. and if it's net 90 we still may be a little bit later maybe net 150 you know like we're doing our fucking best though and like because we'd acted in the way we had before everybody kind of i mean i'm sure there were some ornery people but everybody kind of like made made enough space for us to get our footing back again. Yeah, yeah, and it it did work out, and people were were good to us, and you know we had to uh, make a lot of spending cuts internally, and and we just got really much got smarter about the business. Stopped construction entirely on that other we place. Did, Never yeah. actually picked that back up. And honestly, this was a convergence with an incredibly critical emotional crisis for me. So, I mean, I was here as much as I could be here, but I was devastated myself in my own personal life. Yeah. And so really, this was on you. It, it was this a dark was time. Like, <laughs> it was a dark time for all of us. This was, this was like, you really had to help battle. And I had to then, myself, I had to, that was the first time I had to reconcile with the fact like, oh, on it may not, on it may go away. I mean, the CFO told us that it would. I didn't. We didn't ever really believe him. I never believed. We him. never believed. It was, was going to be close. But it was I knew enough that. that, like, I had to. Ultimately, it was like one of those near death, not yep. the full NDE, but like where I was, we were actually dead and revived. But yep. it was close enough where you have to, you know, deal with your own mortality. Yeah, and like understand what a tragedy would be if on it, and if on it disappeared and all of that went away, and and what a loss that would be to myself personally, all of us the community, the employees, the and the world. Like what we would no longer be able to offer yeah. what we were offering to the world. It would go so deep. The ripples of that of that crash would be immense. And really dealing with that and then personally coming out and being like, it'll be okay. No matter what, we'll still continue to fight for the good of all in whatever way. And if the universe takes this, it takes it. But, you know, and getting to that place was also happening as this whole thing was going. It was like, in a way, this was our, you know, big plant medicine ceremony yeah. with no plants. The plants were the trees that created the cash <laughs> that created yeah. the crisis, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I I, can honestly say at no point did I think that we weren't going to succeed, but I just knew that I was going to eat shit a lot for, <laughs> for a long time, right? And and I, I knowing that we were gonna going to record this, I actually went back and looked at that email that the CFO sent and she looked at the graph. And the graph is so o- ominous. It shows us running out of money on February 21st. I'll never forget it. And, and the, the email <laughs> is just like, like, here's all the things you have to do. Uh, you clearly don't want to do them. You know, it was just like one of those emails. And... Uh, um, and so I, I told you this separately, but on, on February 21st, when we were still standing, I, I sent him a text message and said, still here. And that's the last <laughs> time I talked to him. And that, that felt pretty good. And, and, uh, and then not, we came, I mean, it was very much a Phoenix 
rising from the we ash were story. So much better. From so that. much better. It so was much the better. best thing we that could have be, happened. We wouldn't be where we are now without that. Zero chance. Another one of those things. This is the classic Stoic philosophy of the obstacle is a way that challenge will create the adaptation that was necessary. Yes. And we were heading towards some kind of cash flow crisis because of our own attitude and because of the way that we were running things with such radical abundance mindset that we weren't tight on everything. We were going to head to that eventually anyways. Yep. And the fact that we got that and survived it, it made us, you know, put us in the position where we could sit where we are right now. Yep. I always... Now, like, always think about, like, what's my war chest? Like, what my levers are? I always yeah. have them in mind. And then every every big purchase, like, I weigh it against a forecast and things that before it was just like, we're doing great. We're going to do better tomorrow. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and because things were like that for a long time. Right. And that actually is the biggest danger in the, anybody listening to this should take that. It's like, if it feels like like things are just amazing watch out yeah and you know and start with the big levers it's another thing start with the big levers start with the big things you know there's like you could change if we switch out the toilet paper we could save this much on our you know office that doesn't fucking matter doesn't matter (laughs) you know like those are like the easy things and i actually watched a documentary recently see spiracy and it talks about the plastic in the ocean and one of the many problems that's going on in the ocean but there's so much energy about straws yeah straws right and straws comprise in his statistic that he gave in the documentary 0.03 percent of the plastic that's in the ocean and he's like it's important to care about straws straws can get stuck in things and there's a viral video of a straw getting stuck in a turtle sea turtle's nose you know like it's it's for sure be mindful of straws however are we really talking about the problem because over 50 percent of everything in there like 45 percent is discarded fishing nets yeah. and this other part is other fishing gear the straws and are a feel-good solution exactly straws are something that's easy that we can say ah well we're we're only running half of our lights in the office right yes like that doesn't fucking matter doesn't like matter. go to your cost go to like go to your cost suppliers of goods, cost of goods what is going on but not willing marketing. to sacrifice the intangibles but yep. like hey just having those tough conversations like hey we need to do better keep the same everything the same but we need to do better on the price yeah. And we or and we have this bloated department over here. Yep. We have four people. We don't maybe need four people to do this job. You know, yep. it's like it's another thing you say all the time. It's like the same amount of people do the same job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One man, one job, two men, half job. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. that's what it turns out and to we be. We had those, we had those situations too. So these yep. there was like a lot of like big places where we could look and and if you're in that situation look in the big places first yep. and look environmentally after watching that documentary like we got to take a we're caring about the ocean we got to take a good hard look at our fishing practices you know because that's that's a big part of what's going on there yeah and look at yep. look at look at that because that's a major major lever that we can start to affect yeah and it's the same thing with the company yeah that's right that's right and the other thing to look at is uh i guess an analogy for fishing is how are you generating revenue yeah. Right. Because because you can. You, that's another lever. Is what your intake is too, sure. and the efficiency your of that. your intake. Right. Yeah. 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 That's big. And, and you know another way that you can get fucked up is if all of your revenue is coming through wholesale channels who are paying you on net thirty, net sixty, net ninety, net one twenty, net. Maybe we won't pay you at all. Yeah. Which yes. is certainly a situation. We've had that a it. lot of the big players in the industry will get. Oh, there's this technicality missing. Where and they're 
six months late. They gamify it. Yeah, you know, that's they make money on the float. Late. Yeah. So be really mindful. That's the beautiful thing about you know direct to consumer is the money comes in immediately. That's yeah. how the business started. I actually borrowed. <laughs> I really borrowed pills for Alpha Brain and sold them before I had to pay. Before you had to pay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, and that's the you know th- that cash flow, getting the cash flow in your favor rather than opposed to your favor. But if I was selling to fucking you know vitamin shop or GNC or something like that. Then I would have borrowed on 30 days and then I would have got paid on in 60 days or 120 days or whatever. 120 days yeah. or whatever. And then I would have been fucked. Yeah. You know, yeah. that would have been the end, just like that. In, yeah, you would have been 60 days dead by the time you got the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the, you know, the next one that we're kind of going into it anyway, the check under all the rugs. Yep. And I think that one's important. You know, I I have this analogy I was thinking about last night is uh Hotel business, 16 years, and big hotel, 500 rooms, you'd always have plumbing problems because you had sprinklers, plumbing, everything. And when the plumbing failed in a top floor, it was definitely going to hit all the rooms below it, right? So the thing you do is you go down into the lower floors, and you would go to the wall, and you just you'd poke on the walls. You'd just poke all the way down until you found a soft spot. When you found a soft spot, you didn't just leave it there and hope it dried. Poke your finger hole and then and do that because then somebody'd have to fucking fix it. Yeah. If you saw a sheet and it had a little rip, you'd grab it and you'd rip it because otherwise the housekeeper would just put it right back on the bed, right? But she, he or she can't if you rip it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I I feel like you have to do with when you're checking under those rugs, and and what you're doing as a founder or a CEO is you're the ultimate check and balance uh, for for like. In that case, the maintenance or the housekeeping team. In our case, whether it's your affiliate or your marketing team, you need to be always going around checking under the rugs, poking the walls, and because you never know when you're going to find something. And even if you find nothing, everybody always knows you're looking. Yeah. And it creates this this check and Nobody balance and reverse under the rug. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's really wise. And for me, I think I got a big lesson in this when we. You know, one thing that I just had no interest in looking into was cybersecurity. First of all, I had very little knowledge about it. Yeah. Second of all, I just, it wasn't what I was wanted to look into, you know? So I just kind of was like, yeah, we good? Okay, we're good. But I knew, I always knew, like, I didn't really go down that path. And this was early. We were a young company. Yeah. I didn't really go down deep enough. And we got stung. You know, we got stung. And, you know, people access some of our data. And there was there was a deep lesson there of like i had that i had that feeling that i that i needed to check under that but i was just intentionally going a little bit blind like there's that rug i don't know it looks scary underneath there i don't really know if i want to look under there yeah and i didn't look under there and under there was a monster brewing yeah and it was a weakness into the house into the castle there was like like if you imagine someone digging out of their prison cell from alcatraz they were coming up right through that rug chopped right all they did yeah exactly (laughs) all they had to do is just pop that rug right off and then they're right in the house and ultimately the response to it it was great. Another one of our tenants, I just went out immediately, even though we didn't know if what data was compromised. We just knew that there was access and no, there was no complaints. And, you know, I just went out and shared the truth with the audience. And that was a big trust builder for, you know, and I think we talk about that in, in number 15, you know, be transparent or die. Yep. Like that was a huge trust builder. That was also reciprocity. That was also honesty. Like, hey guys, I'm so sorry. And it was just a letter from me, like to all of our customers post, 
I'm so sorry. This is what happened. And if I remember, I was a customer then. If I remember what you wrote, one of the first lines is, I don't know all the details yet. And so I thought that was the most transparent part of it is like, you're finding this out because I found it out. You're not finding this out after I ran this through our PR team and I came up with exactly how I want to position it to you. Um, Because there was that one. And then there was a follow-up message to it when you had more information about what data was compromised. Yeah, yeah. And that was huge. And then actually, uh, instead of it being a disaster, it was actually like one of the one of the epic moments. Early epic moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, again, another one of those situations where disaster becomes an opportunity. You know, like yep. the crisis is the opportunity. The disaster is your, is your chance to prove your adaptation and prove what you really stand for. Yeah, it really, it's easy to say, but it really is an opportunity. That said, I remember back in the the, the good old days, whenever we got the Aubrey call asking for everybody to come to your office, it was always one of those, <laughs> oh shit, yeah. don't even know what's coming yet, but you come <laughs> in and you know, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. we dealt with deal, it together. You gotta deal with it. Yep. And in those moments, it's important to stand at the helm of the ship with yep. confidence and with, you know, uh, with this sense of like we're going to be okay and that energy of like the captain in the storm like if you're the captain of the ship in the storm you know you can go down to your own room and cry and wail and bang on some pillows and say all is lost but when you're standing there and your crew's there is looking to you you better say better leave we're gonna be all right we're gonna be all right and even you know even in the cash apocalypse i did my best while i was here to do that yeah I just wasn't as present as I normally would have been because of my own shitstorm I had going on. I couldn't muster it yeah. in that way. But always mindful of like, here we are. Look everybody in the eye. You know, look like show that you're here. And that's like that's an important. That's really an important thing when all of that. Well, we didn't talk too much about it uh, in Wheel to Axe, but there was a day where uh, we had to let several people go, and right after that, you called an all company meeting. You took ownership for it. You name, n- named uh, who wasn't here and said, but it's okay, and here's why. And you you gave that speech. And even at that point, I think we had like 80 employees in, so it wasn't a small number. We were mm-hmm. in sports performance yep. or 10th Planet back then. Yep. All right. Um, we'll try to pick up some speed here yeah. and get through some of these. Number 12, avoid being under the influencer. So- Really, what I'm on, what I'm trying to express here is is that not all influencers are created equal, That's and I think sure. a lot of people that I see, they will see somebody and they'll see that they have a big following, and they'll think, "Oh man, if I just this person's a part of it, it's going to change everything." Maybe, maybe, and it just depends very specifically on what they're known for. You know, so if you're known as a musician and you want them to talk about supplements, nobody's going to listen. If you're known as an athlete and you want them you know to talk about i don't fucking know something that's not pertaining to athletics then that's not the right person you know either and if they don't talk about things authentically and they get a lot of brand deals that are coming their way and it's you know Shaq driving uh what is it a kia or whatever the hell car that they pretend that Shaq drives you know maybe he actually has to drive it because he's getting big but you know Shaq's not choosing a kia yeah you just know it right so if Shaq's talking about icy hot you also know like, man, you probably do have back pain, but I don't know if I trust you because you're driving that Kia and I know <laughs> that's full of shit yeah, for sure. So like maybe you use maybe. Icy Hot, maybe you don't. Yeah. Like I don't even know. Yep. You have to be known for that authenticity. So don't yep. get 
distracted by the big bright lights. The romanticizing of that, especially right. as a young company, I I hear people all the time when they're because people call for either advice or they're pitching me something, and all the time I'll hear them say say uh, yeah you know whoever John Smith. Uh, uh, you know, put in an order the other day and we're going to talk to him about doing whatever. And I was like, who, who gives a shit? Like, who gives a shit? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. You can't romanticize that idea because influencers are plentiful nowadays. Yeah. And they only matter if, if the, they wield actual influence. They can create actual engagement that ter turns into actual sales. And that has to be really authentic. And those are few and far between. Rogan was that for us early oh, yeah. on because he really had solid influence and he really took the products and he really liked them. It's just, just being mindful that a, a small influencer that really people trust about that is far more valuable than a, a big one who's just known for what they do professionally. That's right. Yep. Pay attention to the warning shots. Number oh, this 13. is an important one. It's an important one. So customer complaints, legal actions, all of these things are little warning shots. Yep. Like little warning shots that you better take, you better take heed on. You know, like somebody finds, you know, there's an issue with the sealing of a of a package. Yep. You know, like your bars aren't sealed. Like, hey, my bars came and the, the package wasn't sealed or this thing opened up in shipping or this yeah. thing was like, listen to that first one before it becomes a hundred of these things that you yep. have to deal with or that, that complaint like, hey, I'm getting headaches or whatever that is. Like treat those as if not like, oh yeah, you know, it's just law of large numbers and whatever. Treat everyone like this is a warning shot from the universe. Pay attention. Maybe it's random, but fucking pay attention. It's it's really easy to keep your radar out of tune and getting in tune with those yellow flags and knowing when to make them red flags is so crucially important. And a lot of times you hear things in passing that you got to tune your ears to where you're like, wait, 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 what are you talking about again? And understanding when something just doesn't, sounds a little off. And again, that's like poking the wall, right? Like there's just something a little weird here. And I can't tell you how many times uh, that's happened to me, but I also don't know how many times I've missed it. Yeah. Right. And so, so the, like you almost have to live with a little bit of neuroticism in the, the sense that, that there are things going on in your business right now that are fucked up. And if you knew they were happening, you would be really disappointed. Right. And so n not that you have to search, uh, under rugs like OCD style, but you should always be looking under those rugs and you should always be checking that radar because, and especially you, you hit on it when really be paying attention to social media and your reviews and all of those things. Anybody that's taking the time to give you that feedback, you should assume that's not the only one in the world. Right. And, and it also, you know, is the, is the polishing rock of how you're going to increase your. Yeah. And sometimes look, sometimes a warning shot's going to hit. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're going to you're going to lose some blood on a warning shot. You know, I remember, you know, there's a California specific regulation that we were completely unaware of and our council was completely unaware of for products that we were selling in the state of California. Yeah. And we didn't know. Didn't and know. it it drew some blood. Yep. You know, drew some blood, drew a couple Early hundred on thousand before we could afford it. Yeah, yeah, drew a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of blood at a time where that was that was a lot. You know, and but that warning shot 
caused us to really up level our counsel. Yep. You know, and that who knows what that saved, you know, in the long term, right? Like getting better and better counsel because of that taking heed of that. Not like, ah, you missed this one, but all right, you know, you guys are good. Whereas like, no, what the fuck? Like this is what you're supposed to be watching. Like you gotta let us know about these type of things. And and with that, so not we did lose blood, we did get hit, and we didn't have a warning for that specific thing. Yep. But we use that as a warning shot that, you know has protected us from very well very well for, yeah for six years later i i still think we probably have one of if not the the best and maybe robust quality teams in our industry yep. and knock on wood we haven't had any issues since and in yep. fact we get lauded by you know third parties nsf groups like that for our quality it all came from that yeah is because we didn't want to experience touch that stove ever again yeah no doubt yep Number 14, kill your darlings. So when I think about that, like there's some things that you really love. And uh, and we've talked about a couple of them, AM collection. I really love those. Yep. I really like the personal care, you know, it was my favorite body wash and it was had the right scent that I've picked out the essential oils. Those were kind of easy ones. Some of them were a little tougher, like the the Star Wars and the Marvel kettlebells. Right? Like those were dope. And they yeah, were icon- so cool. they were iconic to do a big part of who we are of course the 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 primal bells were more iconic yep zombie bells potentially more but this was really like a cool moment for us that we were making iron man kettlebells and we were ideating on you know we had spider-man battle ropes and we had darth vader kettlebells and boba communicating Fett daily with lucas films and marvel yeah, totally. and those products genuinely went viral and and got us a lot of earned media and so it was very cool but it wasn't very profitable. The deal, the deal just didn't make sense. You know, those those big companies, they cut those deals, they cut those deals thin. Yep. And you really just have to hit a home run to even hit a single. Yes. You know, it's like the fence line is so far away. Yeah. You know, you gotta just crush it. And there's like 20 people in the in the in the <laughs> infield and outfield. You gotta just smash it and then you hit a single. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they know. They know, they know what, the distance. They yeah. know the distance and they know they want to stretch you, you yeah. know, and, and they'll know that somebody else will step up and stretch. You and know? they know their value. They do. Yeah. And so what makes it worth it to them? We went into it to generate sales, to generate profitability, but really we should have just gone into it to generate marketing and known that from the beginning because right. there weren't there was nothing else. And when we ran out of the marketing value of it. At least you never run out, but we're in the long tail of the marketing benefit. It was time to transition and uh, and had to let it go. And and that was tough for you know a group of people, and I include myself in this. That grew up in the Star Wars Marvel generation that thought it was the coolest thing in the world and liked the fact that we could associate ourselves with that. But no sacred cows, right? Yeah. And and whether it be uh, working with your best friend or or working with Marvel, if it's time, it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to choose that. And even you got to get rid of your own personal affectations, you know, for these different things. And your own, your own, uh, color blindness to it. Like a lot of times you don't, you, you, you need other people to tell you. And that's another place where your radar has to go up. So if you're hearing things that don't comport with what you're seeing, got to check yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of those cases. 100%. 100%. And, you know, some people are more attached to these things. Some, for some people, it's harder than others. As a writer, you know, Kill Your Darlings comes from the writing profession where they're really talking about, 
you know, you're going to have to delete massive chunks of text, massive, uh-huh. massive vignettes, massive aspects of a story. Directors the same way who are making those kind of cuts. This, this was an amazing scene. I remember there was a scene, uh, some some scene in some movie where Antonio Banderas literally, not Antonio, uh, who's the other badass? Um, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro put out a cigarette in the take on his on his hand. He like, this is the story. He put out a cigarette on his hand as as he was looking someone dead in the eye. And he did it for reals. Like, <laughs> did it for reals. And the director cut it. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, that's a darling. Yeah, and you that's just can't cut it. That's a darling scene, you know? Like, and he, but he cut it because it didn't fit. That scene didn't fit with the movie and the movie was more precious than that little thing. Yep. And you can argue that, oh, we should have found a way to make it work because it's so epic. But, you know, ultimately you have to, you have to have the, the whole, the whole pie is more important than every that's individual right. ingredient. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Number 15, be transparent or die. We touched on this. Yeah. But like I knew that, you know, and actually I didn't get counsel at the time, you know, and again, you weren't here. The counsel that I had was we don't need to talk about this. This is like you can just sweep this under the rug. You don't need to talk about this. Nobody found out. No one's ever gonna know. No one's ever gonna know. No one's complaining. You know, if someone complains and we'll have a different strategy. But what I ultimately realized is that, for one, if that eventually came out, that's a disaster, just pragmatically, right? Because then we covered it up. And we saw that with so many other people. I don't know. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus who didn't do it. But I think it was Target or somebody like that 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 actually got caught and then finally I think it was, yeah. And even like Equifax didn't tell anybody for like four years. Yeah, so like those things, then you find out, then then it's irreparable. Yes. Because then not only did you make a mistake, an honest mistake, but you covered up the honest mistake and that's where you're really Trust is fragile. And so that's one thing from just a pragmatic standpoint. But But the real thing was, even if that was the case, I would always be holding it. And if I was holding it and I was holding that guilt that I didn't share that, some part of me would want to punish myself. Yeah. And want to punish us for that sin, so to speak. Yeah. You know, for missing the mark, which is where sin comes from. I would want to punish myself. So I would create some kind of sabotage or some disaster to feel like I received the punishment that I deserve, the penance. Yeah. Like we're always, that's my reciprocity with myself. If I would have withdrawn from the world, to support myself, I would have wanted to give back blood. You know, I would uh-huh. have wanted to pay the blood price for that thing. And I would have, I know I would have manifested disaster. And don't you think it ultimately comes back to like we, we're gonna be talking about in a minute where you you treat your treat your partners like or treat, pick your partners like a spouse. Our customer in some ways is is you need to treat with the golden rule. Yeah, and they're treat us them living like a different want, life. Yes, that's that right. That is you living a different life. Would you want to know? If, yes. Would you want to know? Yes. Then then it's an obvious fucking- It's a it's quick choice. Obvious. You know, yep. if you really collapse the myth of separation and get back to that state of inner being, that state of understanding that we're all different facets of the same diamond and that person is you with a different background and different genetics living a different life, but it's fucking you. Yep. It's you. It's not other. It's you. Then what do you do? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of like you know when you get in front of a crowd when you're still learning how to speak in front of a crowd and you try and focus on one person as as opposed to thinking about talking to a thousand and you're just having a thousand individual conversations. It's the same way with that. 
really, if it was just one person that got their stuff, you would just tell them because you'd want them to know. Well, it's no different. It's just you're doing that at scale. Yeah, that's absolutely right. All right. And there's many cases for that. But honestly, like also, you know, we're in the world now where when you actually share, the more you share, you know, I think Elon Musk, not a perfect guy, but he set a great example with giving away the Tesla patents. patents. Like, let it, let it, let it out there. Yep. Like trust, like trust, show your, show your cards, like play, play face up, you know? Yep. Like there's a quote that I love from Chogyam Trumpa: the warrior's decency is the absence of strategy, mm. you know? And like, there's just something beautiful about like, here's my cards. Yeah. Everybody see them? Did you notice as soon as you he know? did that, everybody was like, here's what his ulterior motive is. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe he just wants the world to be a better place. Yeah. And he's already knows that he has such a lead that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, let's think abundantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Double down on your wins, number 16. So this was something I think we could have done a hell of a lot better job For of. sure. Because yeah. we launched Alpha Brain, smash hit, took us five years or something to launch alpha brain instant yep you know which is just a different form factor of the same thing we did the hard work we made the formula we knew it worked we knew people loved it then we came up with the instant powder and then it's we're still and we've hard and then we just came out with new moon and that's 10 years after the first one this is our next bestseller like continuing on the path of the wins different form factors different flavors going sizes different sizes really going deep yep that's where that's where you can be a lot more lucrative and and if i'm if i was going to go back and say like man how could i have done this thing better that would have been a clear strategic choice to yeah. like go way deeper oh wow alpha brain's crushing all right we're going to have alpha brain drinks alpha brain shots alpha brain inst- yep. powders alpha brain 30 60 90 120 lifetime supply we're going to have it all yeah you got the full suite it's going to have all the flavors it's going to have all the different ways that you could consume alpha brain and we're going to go deep yeah, you know, uh, that the old saying like going to the well, almost like like it's a risk to go to the well. But in real life, you go to the well until there's no more water. <laughs> yeah. You don't just start digging more wells because you don't have any more water if you do that, right? Yeah. And I, I look at that the the same way. And now we're smarter about it, but uh getting getting people Alpha Brain, New Mood, Shroom Tech, even Total Human in the size, capacity, flavor, modality that they want it is far more important than coming up with a, a million new ideas. And I think it took us a long time to get smarter about that, but but um, at the same time, we came up with a lot of good ideas in the interim, so now we get to benefit from both. But I think the accelerator earlier yeah. would have been those line extensions. That would have been earlier. the gas pedal. Yeah. That would have been the gas pedal earlier. It's we're in a beautiful spot now because there's still a lot of opportunity. Yep. I mean, there's a whole, you know, brain shot industry, nootropic ready to drink shot I haven't industry. Even gotten there we yet. haven't even gotten there yet. Yep. And we have like the, you know, top regarded nootropic in the world. Yeah. So there's a lot and that's a beautiful And it's only been in capsules this whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. I yeah. Know. So that's uh, that's something that I think is is important, but it's uh, you know we we were going after this total human optimization, but it's also tracking yourself. There was more excitement in creating something new yep. than you know really offering the the varied subtle ways that we were different ways to solve the same problem. I wanted to solve a new problem. Oh, yep. what's a new problem? Oh, what's a new problem I can solve? Oh, what's this brand new thing? And there was an energy in that for me as a human that I liked, and uh-huh. so on it suffered. From my own bias, my creators going to create creators wanting to create. Oh, yeah. I got this whole new idea. Let's go, yeah. you know. 
And so um, it's just tempering your own, tempering yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Matching your, uh, 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 connecting with the business where where you fit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. Believe your future is real now. Number 17. Yeah, we've talked about some of this already. Yep. So in that one, you know, I think really the the thing that I want to harp on the most here is at the beginning, equity is super cheap because you think that a situation like we're in now where there's going to be a sale may come, but it's so far away and it's so real. It's not even real. So you're like, you want some equity? Sweet. I got some, you know, you're going to help out. Great. Well, equity is cheaper than cash because I don't have much cash, right? but I got this thing. And now there's like, there's literal millionaires that are going to be made <laughs> yeah. because yeah. it was super early. They were just they were around the, at the right time. They were the first, you know, pro athlete or the first Hollywood, you know, star, or the first this that came up. And I was like, you want to promote on it? Sweet. Uh, I don't really have any cash, but like yep. I got this equity and they're like, yeah, okay. Yep. <laughs> you know? And like, and so, but if I really would have believed, you know, I would have been like, yeah, you know, this is one day going to be worth a lot. The, maybe I would have still given some equity, but the size would have been way smaller, or I would have waited till I had cash, or I would have, I would have just done things a little differently. I'm not, I'm not upset. You know, I love, I love our cap table. I love the way that things have been spread. There's enough to go around, but nonetheless, it, it is like one of those things. Like I didn't really, really believe it. Yeah. I, I always felt like it could, but it was so far away. It's hard to imagine that it's real. Yeah, and you had a and. You had to make shit happen right now back right. then. And right. so it still was probably a good idea, but but knowing that the pond's going to get bigger and so are the fish is is it might be a tough thing to remember at the time, but it is true. And and if it's going to work anyway, right? Because yeah. I don't think any of the moves that you made there probably determined exactly where we got. C- certainly some of those things helped us along the way. Uh, but outside of like the Bodie and Joe moves, uh, you know, they, they might have been a, a little bit of a push. But with the value of what the equity is now, right. I'm not sure it, you know, <laughs> right. it matches up. But either way, you can take pride that in the reciprocal relationship, you're definitely going to put a bigger deposit in. No doubt. And that's, <laughs> and that is a beautiful part yeah. of this. You know, this is like a great way everybody who's backed this and yep. supported in all the different ways and people who've come in biting off little chunks when we needed a little cash or I needed a little cash yeah. or all of these little things. Like with the transaction, all of that gets redeemed in a way where yep. the reciprocity flows back in abundance. And uh, and that's just beautiful. I take the great, great joy in that. That's the most beautiful thing about this whole thing is we're, and I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation too, is we're getting to, it, it's, it's not the end of anything, but it, it might be the end of this rotation, this cycle of yeah. things. And I think it's just really beautiful to uh, look back on that because it's promises made, promises kept all the way through. I can't think of one thing that you did through this whole thing where you didn't keep a promise. Yeah. And this is the culmination of that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Number 18, laugh at yourself. So I think this is really important. Yeah. Like you can't take yourself too seriously. No. You know, like there's nothing that's more of a turnoff than that. And uh, I remember, you know, when On It was really starting to get some traction and our gym was hot and it's still super hot or whatever, but there was just this energy of us being new onto the scene. And I remember there was this guy who would go around town and he would wear an off it t-shirt 
Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that guy. He would yeah. just like troll us in real life for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Not even <laughs> online, like <laughs> offline. Who does that? And you know, the thing at that at that time, I forgot about that guy. <laughs> at that time, you know, it was. I think a lot of us took it kind of serious. I probably took it the least serious. I thought that's kind of yeah. funny, you know. But there was a lot of people who were s- super passionate, and I love that. Yeah. That, like wanted to fight him. You know? <laughs> like we can kick his ass. Like don't kick his ass. Yeah. Like it's it's okay. It's okay that he's taking that shot at us. You know, in that way. Like I remember at the time, people thought, "What if it catches on?" And it's like, why would it catch on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing the weirdest thing possible. Yeah, but then there's you know other there's all kinds of other jokes that have been made like oh, yeah you know if we come up with a dog caroline we'd call it dog on it yeah. if we came up with that i still think that was a good idea <laughs> i still have that trademark so no one can take that yeah i mean there's just a million different a million different things that have come up that have been a chance to laugh at ourselves even, and- even the aubrey cult stuff yeah right like you never took that too seriously and there is no reason to but you could have because it was, in some ways, kind of a shot. Yeah, and, and and those opportunities to just have that have that grace and sense of humor. Yeah, and just yeah. laugh and and laugh at it when instead of making it a big deal and getting your ego and pride all involved. Yep. And you know, another thing is too is we aligned with people who are willing to do the same. I think my favorite Black Friday campaign was the one we did with Lance Armstrong. Still the best. Yeah. <laughs> and it was about. I still his, can't believe he did it. He yeah, didn't it even about, hesitate. It he was just about said, yeah. his missing testicle. Yeah. You know. And we were, it was, he was searching fucking, everywhere. It was searching everywhere for his missing ball, <laughs> and like this, that was so funny, you know. And it was oh, so nice. like it was so. It's such a beautiful example of uh, you know someone who's willing to laugh at themselves. Yep. You know, and I know that you know a lot of people have a lot of things about Lance from his past and all good, but at that yep. moment, at that time, the man he is there was willing to really laugh at himself, and that's you know that's beautiful. Yeah. Like, to have that sense of humor at that moment. Is, and uh, there's important. a guy that like we were talking about Bodie training until he tried to kill himself. Uh, Lance would do the same thing. That guy had no shortage of taking himself and what he did super seriously, still willing to laugh at himself in that yeah. capacity. I thought that was good. Uh, it, it's really incredible the pivot he's been able to make. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people like to hold people to you know there is some things that are unforgivable okay yeah if you want to hold that judgment and be the be the judge like yeah i'm not going to argue with you you know but nonetheless but having have seeing him there versus where he was in the thick of it it's so hard to know what we any of us would do in anybody else's shoes and yeah not and, to digress and, into that oh uh, yeah much. i was going to go down that road too but yeah yeah it's just it's the example of like when you have the chance even if you even if you have taken yourself super seriously you know which which is the point here at some point he took himself so seriously and he took his his wins so serious and all of these things so seriously yep. and had this righteous indignation even if you have been that to then later be able to laugh at yourself and like yeah. to be able to and i've saw i've seen him you know offer to make fun of himself and other different different ideas that's the way like if you make a mistake especially or if something happens like laugh at yourself like make make a joke allow everybody to join in on the laugh rather than to laugh quietly you know yeah. behind your back like yeah. be inclusive with the laughter laugh with them you know yes. rather than forcing them to laugh at you in the shadows like that's the way yeah especially in a capacity like like you you were in early on where or really even till to now where 
you not only represent you as a human, you represent something much larger. You not only represent on it as a business, even larger than that, it's it's you represent like everything you stand for. And because your platform has gotten bigger, you have a personal responsibility now that's larger than you. Yep. And letting people in on the laughter and and uh, make make the joke part of the message is a really crucial part of that if you are going to stand on that stage. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, number 19, choose partners like you choose a spouse. Now, I've seen so many people get this really, really twisted because yeah. you get in deep with a partner and that is your partner in this business forever and ever, amen. Unless you make some different contractual deal where you buy them out. I see it all the time in startups. You get a you get a partner that you think is gonna do this one thing and doesn't really pan out, but they're still a fucking partner. They still got that equity and they yeah. still hold it. And that that's a weight that'll suck the life right out of the business because then you're working your ass off for some, for a pie that you're sharing that they're not contributing to and the reciprocity is all off the whole yes. cycle the whole cycle goes to hell yeah like the whole cycle goes to hell and and then you have to find a bunch more money just to buy them out which is a massive waste of capital and a massive waste of resources if you do that and it can end up in legal battles it can end up in this so it's not a flipping thing to have a partner in your business like it can kill it it can destroy the whole thing the entity may die if you choose the wrong thing, like choose that with the care that you would choose a wife or a husband. Yeah, we we talked about this in several different ways, but when you talk about a partner, um, that is, scares me in general because because really, just like the we talk about reciprocity, you're talking about an exchange of value. The reason people get in partnerships is they get in partnerships with somebody they think is bringing something that they're not, whether it be the money or the talent or the work ethic, or whatever it is. And if they don't live up to whatever part of that is, they still own that equity. And now you're screwed, because now you not only don't have that, but now you have to either recoup it, uh, make up for whatever deficiency they've left behind. And that happens a lot. And so generally, you hear people say, just don't get into partnerships. But a lot of times, you don't have the choice because you really are missing half of that. And a lot of times, it's the money half of it. Yeah. Um, uh, but kind of like you were, you talk about uh, being, being thoughtful and frugal with that equity. You need to do that same thing with your partner. Mm-hmm. And you should make sure that you've explored every route to get that without giving up the equity before you even enter into a partnership. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it actually goes to the second one. So take a lot of time choosing your partner. But when you get there, transition or any kind of any kind of situation, transition from the handshakes to the paperwork yes. quickly. Yes, yep. You yep. know, because as much as you may feel like you're aligned when money gets involved and the details get involved, it's nice to just have something to fall back on. If you really are in alignment, you can always modify that deal. Yep. You know what I mean? And 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 ultimately, like ultimately, I had to have that conversation with Joe. And this is one of the like beautiful moments in in the company where the way that the deal was structured, the paperwork that we had, it was there were the way that things were going joe was actually earning more than i was in at that point by we a significant were, margin by by yeah. a good margin and you know i was like fuck you know we didn't 
anticipate that this was the way because of the paperwork that it was going to go. But because of our relationship, I just went to him and I was like, hey, man, like this is the way the numbers are shaking out. Like, what if we just what if we just say, look, we'll just take whatever we're earning, whatever I'm earning, we'll chop it in half. Yep. You know, we'll chop it straight down the middle. And he didn't even he didn't even think about it. Despite the paperwork, he had every right and he would have continued to make more money than than I did. But he was like, Yeah, man, that sounds fair. That sounds good. And it was just done. It was done. It was just done like that. You had the right partner. And I had the right partner. And, you know, so the paperwork didn't actually hold anything up. The paperwork didn't lock us in because it was the right partner. So yep. both of those, you know, choose your partners like you choose your spouse, 19 and 20, transition from handshakes to paperwork quickly. They both work hand in hand because you need both. You do need both and because it is nice. I mean, paperwork saves friendships sometimes where you don't have to get in an argument at all. What's it say on the paper? But conversely, if that's not going to work out if you have the right partner, like you said. It doesn't matter anyway. You can you can usurp the paperwork and create new paperwork. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, number 21, know when to use the velvet gloves and when to use the boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. So in general, we've talked a lot about using the velvet gloves. Yep. You know, always taking care for people, taking taking the utmost utmost sensitivity, but there's some people who are trying to fight. You know, there's some people who are out to fucking punch you. <laughs> yeah. And when that when that happens, lace them up. Yeah, you can't wear velvet gloves unless you're willing to put on the boxing gloves because otherwise you get walked over. Yeah. They they need to know that they're in the closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because otherwise the velvet gloves are kind of meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you become and a pushover. I'd add one other thing too. I think I think there's velvet gloves, there's boxing gloves, and then there's there's white gloves. And what I mean by white gloves is almost that 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 sometimes you need to allow people to be wrong with dignity and and follow their lead despite the fact that you really genuinely don't agree, even if they're not the person in charge. Because some lessons are best learned in that way. Mm. And so if you're playing the long game with certain people from a leadership perspective, sometimes I do take a white glove approach and let people try something that I think is not going to work right. because, because I think there's a, a bigger lesson involved. But when you're in a disciplinary situation, you only have that choice between the, the velvet gloves or the boxing gloves because there, there needs to be a lesson learned right then. And you can teach it with love, but if somebody comes with boxing gloves, you're not going to win that fight with velvet. So you got to yeah, come I mean, back. And it could be a legal action. It could be, you know, it could be some whatever else. Like there's a yep. time to there's a time to fight. There's a time to know when someone is someone is being aggressive and potentially even violent in their actions, not literally, but you know, proverbially and, and energetically, I should say. And uh, at that point, you know, know that know that they got to know that you're willing to fight. Yep. Like that's it's absolutely important that you're not just going to lay down. Because otherwise, that becomes the energy. Yep, you know, that doesn't work. Ultimately, like you, you use the velvet gloves more often. You want people to be more. They they would be more afraid to disappoint you than have you yell at 100%. them. And I think that's the most important thing. But you still. And Still. even yell at them is absolutely the wrong because there's almost no cause for that. Like the greatest, think of the greatest fighters. They're not the ones that are yelling in front of the, before the ring. They're not the ones that are like pounding on themselves. They're just staring at you like, 
I will fucking destroy you. Yeah. And I'm about to Mike watch Tyson me. style. Watch me. Yeah. You're like, watch me destroy you. Yep. You know, like like all of the great champions have that same way. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can maybe come up with a couple examples where that wasn't the case, but anger is not a warrior's friend. You That's know, right. and when you're yelling, it's it's a sign of insecurity. It's a sign that you don't trust your authority. It's putting out a signal like, I have to be this aggressive or you won't take me seriously. But the you know, like Francis Ngannou just won the the heavyweight championship uh-huh. and like his calmness is what everybody was talking about, you know, because that's what made him so dangerous. He was just calm and measured. In the moment. In the, and just right there. And and like, that's what was scary. And yeah. it was like, that's scary. It's Fedor Emelianenko. It's like, oh, wow. He just puts his hand up. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Had- and it's that, it's that thing as a leader where you can just look at someone like, really? You know, like, and they just see the, feel the strength, like, uh uh-uh. It's this energetic, uh uh-uh. We are not going there. You know, rather than having to yell or rather than having to outwardly express it, it's just like, no. Like, this is, this is it. And that's the, that's the place you always want to be at. I never heard you yell. I can't think of one time that I- Well, I did one time. And and that time was- Always when somebody interrupted a podcast. No, yeah. I was was filming a a promotional video. And I was right in the- It was a long one. It was like a long, long video. And uh, we didn't have like a good video team that could cut it and and do different stuff. And- So you needed to nail it. I needed to nail it. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) and there was these knocks, soft knock on my office door. It wasn't in this office. It was in the office, uh, the office before this office, so seven years ago, something yeah. like that. How long have we been in this office? Six years? Seven years, uh, 2013, right? Okay, so it must yeah. have been 2012. Yeah. So nine years ago. Fuck, long time ago. So nine years ago, and a soft knock on the door, and I was like, I can ignore that. The video will hardly pick it up. Medium knock on the door. I was like, okay, that's a little abrasive. <laughs> and then bigger knock on the door. Bang, bang, bang. And I was like, what what do you want and i just it was just an outburst right because somehow the knocking low and my taller and then the medium and me trying to nail it and the pressure of the situation yeah and then the the final aggressive knock that i couldn't ignore anymore yep and uh and then i heard sorry and i was like oh man and i went outside and she was crying yeah it's (laughs) fuck it's it's still like it still bothers me to think about that you know and probably should like it's a good reminder for when i have kids you know but like she was the sweetest like the sweetest front desk like person handling it and she didn't know she didn't know what i was doing and there was somebody there who needed to talk to me or see me or something like that and she was just crying at her desk and i was like never again never again never again yeah and that made i mean it made a it made a big impact it's funny you know i mean it's it's not that i still hold that against myself but it's just it's a recognition of you know with the with the authority that we have as leaders like we have so much power and so much ability to to harm if we're not careful yes if we're erratic and if we're if we're not mindful of ourselves, we can really really hurt people who don't deserve to be hurt you know and we can also really help people and just to really be mindful of that. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that lesson. Words matter, right? Yeah. I mean, words matter how they're the said, words. the energy, the intent. And and sometimes I still find myself underestimating people wanting to hear 
what I think about things and my responsibility to step up and right. talk about things. Like when Black Lives Matter started, or really it was the murder of George Floyd, that that whole weekend after that video came out, or uh, more recently with the anti-Asian hate and things. I, people want to hear what their leaders internally feel about that. Yeah. And I needed to be reminded of that. And I still feel bad about that, that I needed Keith to call me and say, hey, you need to put something out here. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I felt so stupid that it didn't occur to me that anybody care what I thought. Right. But then it was such a good reminder because now I make sure that I'm having all those tough discussions at every opportunity because it not only gives an opportunity for people to rally around that, but it all opens the door for everybody to be a little bit higher version of themselves because they're able to to have an honest dialogue about tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the they want to see the they want to see the human. They want to see the human, and and that's it's a big responsibility. I know that in in some of my social circles, even in I'm in this like amazing men's group. You know, it's 24 people, and you know I I have inherently a lot of gravitas. You know, and yep. it's just in my nature, and also the position that I'm in. And there was an an, a, an exercise where people kind of clear any energy that feels like it's been unexpressed. And there was like four people who came up to me were like, "Yeah, I just I just want to know what you how you feel about me." And you know, like whether they were in some way just wanted that encouraging word, like, "Yeah, I love you, man." Like, but I didn't I hadn't said it. I yeah, I, I know I, there was no they didn't say like I felt some weird energy, but they. But they just needed to hear it because they looked up to me, and, and most it was most people who looked up to me in some way. Yeah, and like me just sharing that word, not just giving them a hug, like "Hey, man, what's up?" What's up? Blah blah blah. But being like, "Hey, man, like I see you. Like I love you, brother. Like thanks for doing what you do. You're great. You know, like that. That matters a lot. And I can, I always, I also need to be reminded of that. And even somebody that you're in proximity with, mm-hmm. sometimes just taking the time. I mean, you never know. And I'll, and I'll hear messages back like. You know, I saved that one email that you sent me that one time, or I, I, you know, you wrote me that thing, and I just I printed that out, and I have that in my desk, and like, yeah, and it was like, oh shit, I don't even remember that, yeah, but it was important, you know, and so just recognizing that when as you rise in those in those positions, your your gravity is is more intense, so everything that you do is going to be felt to an even greater degree, and everybody's always watching. That's true too. <laughs> yeah, everybody's always watching. That's true too. Yep. That All was right. good. I'm calling an audible on number 22 because there's something I think that's really important. Um, number 22, know when to go all in. And <clears throat> there's there was one obviously key moment that was a defining moment for on it. And that was at the at the beginning, because nootropics were a new thing, and because there's a lot of people who are skeptical. There was a lot of people saying that our supplements don't work. Snake oil, oh, this, yeah. blah, 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 all of this. Like yep. it, supplements don't work. There was categorically saying vitamins and supplements don't work. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just brain vitamins. It was all, all neutral or all, all, all supplements. supplements, all vitamins. It doesn't work, right? And we knew at that point, like we could either just ignore it, but we really believed in our products. So I went out to one of the top, um, the top labs and Boston Research. Um, Boston Center for Memory. Yep. And said, all right, I want you guys to put together a randomized double blind clinical trial to test the efficacy of Alpha Brain. 
And they came to us and they said, listen, we will do this, but we want you to know that we've done 11 of these in a row. And the last 11 of these that we did, because they test both pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals, the last 11 that we did showed no statistical significance and we published all of them. And we will publish this if it doesn't work. And you know, that's that moment where you're like, wow, if we actually put this through scientific rigor yeah. and it comes back with nothing, then that is going to be potentially the thing that unwinds the whole company. And at All the time, Alpha Brain attributed what percentage of the revenue? Sixty percent. Yeah, an enormous amount. And it also was inexorably tied to the cloud of the company and the cloud of the industry. Yeah, right. To a certain degree. So at that point, though, like if we were able to validate that. Do you believe? Do you believe? And are you willing to go all in? Are mm -hmm. you willing to bet it all? Are you willing to back what you know to be true and trust that the science and trust that it will all pan out? And, uh, and it, that's tough because even though you knew it worked, you take it, you could feel it, all of those things. You don't know these researchers. You don't know the people that are going through it. You don't know their testing methods. And even when you do, it's still so out of your control that yeah. it's like, oof. Yep. scary it is it's it was, probably the scariest thing that you've ever done in this company it was incredibly intense and uh you know i have to credit um joe a lot too because he was all he was all in for that you know he was all in like he was i think because of his his reach and whatever i think the stakes were lower for him he loved he cared about on it but yeah. it wasn't like this was my entire livelihood yeah at that point you know there was nothing else going there's <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I had a small little podcast warrior poet project at that point but there's nothing else going no other revenue sources nothing this was it this was everything i would put everything in betting it. the farm you were really going all in truly truly betting the farm yeah and uh and it paid off you know, I mean, we got those we got those results back, and it showed statistical significance. We backed it up again with the subsequent study, and at that point, it was like it changed all, everything. It changed everything. All of that. There's still people who still will lob some insults or whatever, but we know, and everybody else knows that yeah. we we put it through the gold standard. We put it through the randomized, double blind clinical trial. You don't you don't hear people say supplements don't work anymore. I think most people have gotten past that, but you still hear it a little bit. Uh, but nootropics at that time, like we talked about, it wasn't even a word that people knew. And Alpha Brain broke through that. I honestly think that that study opened up nootropics for the industry. Yeah. I don't know if the industry would be there if it wasn't for that, because once that came out, a lot of copycats started showing up. And initially they were alpha brain copycats, but then people started getting smarter at, at, at uh, mushrooms and other things and started coming up with nuanced takes on, on brain health. And that was awesome. Yeah. More of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was just one of those all in moments. And it I was. Think you, you might be faced with that where it's like, you know, do you really believe and really, are you willing to lay everything on the line? And, uh, and sometimes that's the right play. And well, and I, I mean, you almost want to say if the answer is I don't know or no, then are you in the right business? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't mean to overstate it for anybody yeah. listening, but boy, you better believe. Yeah. And you hear these stories from a lot of different, you know, mortgaged their house for the second time, put everything in, yeah. borrowed from every last family member because they really just believed, they really knew. Yeah. You just get past this one moment, we'll make it. Yeah. It's probably a lot of stories where people made that bet and it didn't work. Didn't work. You yep. know, I mean, that's the nature of it. It yep. is a risk. But, uh, and that's the nature of when you go all in 
you know, in poker, unless you have what's called the nuts, which is the hand that nobody can beat, Yep. you know, but that's not the case in entrepreneurship. You know, like you just have, I, I believe in my hand. I believe in what I have. And here, here's my, here's a sign of my belief. I'm going all in. And don't you think that's one of those things where you almost have to go all in because otherwise the rest of your life, you're going to wonder. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, totally. like what if I would have, Yeah. like, even if you lose, like if you're willing to make that bet, that's an entrepreneurial move. You got to be willing to bet yep. on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You can't play with that. You can't play with fear. Yeah. You know, you got to play with that confidence you got to play with courage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. And last, probably the most important thing that I can share is enjoy the fucking journey. Enjoy yep. the journey. Number 23, you know, and uh, the only real regret that I could possibly have is, man, I could have enjoyed it more. If yeah. I would I if I would have just known that I was going to end up here, even if I didn't know, you don't ever know, right? But like so many times I was just in stress and despair and and concern and anxiety and and just challenged by and, and limiting myself from enjoying it because I was afraid of the disappointment. This is a big one for me. Like, yeah. don't get too happy because if you get too happy and this doesn't work, you're going to be devastated, which is the antithesis of being the warrior poet, which is just living with the fullest joyful expression of, of what's going on. Not foolishness, not the thing that takes your eye off, but just the enjoyment of the present. Because yeah. there's no... It's not like I'm. We made it to here, and all of a sudden I'm fucking happy. That's right. It's there was not, no. There's end. no destination. The whole yeah. thing is just a journey. So yeah. in every step, could I have enjoyed it a little more? And the answer is yes. Of course, I didn't know, and I wasn't. If I would have been able to, I would have. But nonetheless, looking back, if I could instill something magically, it wouldn't be chart the course differently. It would be, man, you know, young Aubrey. Yeah, just enjoy this more, son. It's like that message that everybody wishes they could give themselves in back in time is just like it's going to be okay. Yeah. And like that it gets emotional even when I say it. It's like it's going to be okay because that takes you back to like that time that I was sitting in my driveway having that panic attack and if you came up to me and you're like enjoy the journey, I would have been like fuck you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but really when I think about those 7 years, I look back on the the time that I've been here it has been the most beautiful time of my life. And I've learned and grown so much and all the growth came from those times. And I've, I'm like battle-hardened business veteran at this point. And that all came from, from, from a lot of that. And I do, I can think back to several times where I did stop and did, had that Ferris Bueller moment where I was like, take a look around so you don't forget it. And those moments just are really beautiful for me, and they're very simplistic. They were standing outside the food truck or doing hashtag lunch bag, like really kind of moments that you probably wouldn't remember, except mm -hmm. that I made a point to stop and remember those. And uh, um, everybody should do that because, because you're getting through this one way or the other, right? And when you do, you're going to look back and you're going to be so thankful for even the rough stuff but definitely the beautiful stuff and there's been far more beautiful than tough no doubt no doubt 100 percent. well here we are at another uh it's this is the completion of a cycle yeah and it's been a it has been a beautiful ride even though i say i wish i would have enjoyed it more it was still pretty fucking it's amazing awesome. it was awesome i mean yeah. so many so many amazing moments so many amazing people and and uh and people we've touched and people and just experiences we've had so 
the just the utmost gratitude to you for being uh, being here with me in this pretty much this whole thing. And to you too. You've been an inspiration, a mentor, and you've given me opportunities I don't know if I would have received anywhere else. And uh, I'll be forever uh, indebted in our reciprocal relationship for that. And uh, I have a ton of gratitude for it. Yeah, thank you, brother. And you know, I would say that. I have no interest in, you know, running a business again, but it looks like as a consequence of this deal <laughs> and the way things are going to shake out, I'm going to acquire Black Swan Yoga, which was yeah. our the only other thing that we had it on it that didn't carry the on it brand because it had such a strong brand. Donation-based yoga, um, four studios here in Austin and extending out Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, looking to Denver. spread around. And it's just a it's a beautiful example of reciprocity in action. It's donation-based yoga and it's flourishing, you know, six time best yoga, voted best yoga in Austin. Yeah. Really giving both the instructors the freedom and the ability to share their gift and also the people to respond with the amount that they're they're giving. And so it's it's just uh it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, you know, idea and it's a beautiful execution on that idea. And uh, I'm certainly going to hire a hell of a team because I got a lot of yeah. stuff going on. But you know, I am, you know, really passionate about what that can bring to the world as well. It's really magical. The purchase of Black Swan Yoga was the very first thing that I did when I got here. Very first thing, and we completed it November 21st, 2014. And uh, here is a business that's going to be the first business of any kind in human history to derive the the largest part of its revenue from donations, and it's going to be na a nationwide yoga chain. It's really a magical business yeah. that that has been uh, created, and uh, no doubt, whatever whatever you decide to do with it, it's 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 going to have one hell of a run because it deserves it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Life evolves. Yeah. People evolve. Things evolve. Another and, uh, cycle. Yeah, I'm just really grateful to be here. Amen. All right. All Thank right. you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Love you guys. Thank you, Brian. Peace. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Jason Havey. Continue to support on it, onit.com slash Aubrey. And if you're interested in the things I mentioned in the intro, the Fit for Service Fellowship, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service and you'll see applications available there. And if you're interested in the virtual community, it's the Fit for Service Academy. You can find it in the app store, no matter your device. Check it out. Thank you so much. I'll see you guys next week.